It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hi, hello. My name is Steve Kaufman, and I'm the producer of Ric Flair Woo Nation Uncensored. I also run the YouTube pages for 15 plus of some of your favorite wrestling podcasts. You may have heard on Twitter that this show is going through some changes. And this week, we've decided to give you a little preview of what's upcoming for the new Ric Flair show. It's going to be hosted by Conrad Thompson. It's going to have three formats. And one of those formats is going to be the interview format. As a sample of the interview format, I've prepared an interview with David Manning. Have a listen. All right, we're getting rolling here on Woo Nation, and we are on location in Dallas again with our most requested guests. Isn't that right, Rick? By far. I mean, we have interviewed a lot of people, but nobody has entertained our particular audience more than David Manning, the legendary referee, entrepreneur, and a man who currently, as we speak, after our night out last night in Dallas, is in hot water. David, tell the story. <laughs> yeah, I'm making a new rule. We can drink after the podcast, but we don't go out the night before and the night after. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Well, you know, we we went over to uh, uh, Nick and Sam's, had a phenomenal dinner, by the way. That's that, got to be one of the best in the country. Absolutely. And uh, good people we had dinner with and everything. So we came back here, decided we'd have one more drink. <laughs> And you and I got back so late yesterday. I didn't get. I didn't get to go home and pick Terry up to bring her with me. That, so that would be David's fiance. Yeah. So I call last night and I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll be home just a little bit. So Conrad, after Rick goes up to bed, says, "Hey, uh, I'm going over to the club to the ballet. Yeah, ballet. Yeah. Why don't you come go with me?" And uh, I was like, "Oh no, I got to go home." I said, "But I'll give you a ride over." So I take him over. I sold it. Go into. The ballet. Knowing Conrad, he knew the owner and everything else. So I, <laughs> I go I go in to meet the guy and everything and uh, decide I'll have a seven up so that uh, I'm capable of driving home. <laughs> so I get home last night. I told Terry, boy, you missed a wonderful dinner. She said, what's that stamp on your hand? <laughs> said, uh, I'll have to think about it and I'll tell you in the morning. <laughs> so, what, what, so, does, what does Dan say? 
uh, grade A. USDA grade A. USDA grade A. <laughs> well, that's too good for hanging around Conrad. Oh. Uh, Here's the way I sold it to you. We're in David's town. Just too. an hour. We're only going to be an hour. One that's, hour. That's my favorite. Just, just an hour. Like, well, that's going to hurt, right? Yeah. Your wife won't know the difference. Come on. And he starts with just seven up, and then a bottle of Crown Reserve shows up. And <laughs> yeah. Then you have to. You're well obligated. I mean, God. Did you fly that bottle in, or someone just bring it in? Uh, it was bottle service at the, <laughs> at the ballet. At the ballet. Yeah. yeah. You played the ballet in there, Oh. Uh, I went home. 635, 75. Yep. Stayed under the speed limit. Yep. My kids were all calling this morning after we talked to them yesterday. Yep. Rick told them I might be home by Monday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd always like to allow for, you know, the variation of schedule. <laughs> well, you know, after the last podcast, all my friends that weren't around during the wrestling years were asking me, did I go to recovery or, you know, <laughs> I'm like, no, we we only drank here and there. But the most of the time when we drank was when Rick was coming through and we were partying. Thank you. I used to tell people I didn't know how Rick uh, would ever live to be the age you are because I don't know how any human, because he would leave me and go in the next town. He had somebody else and there he went again. Yeah, but I have someone like you. But <laughs> you Dallas was a little bit unique, but I couldn't wait to get here. The only other territory I had as much fun in as with Dallas as with Dave was uh, Florida. And that just, you know, came natural. Fresh fruit everywhere. <laughs> yeah, not everybody picked up on that, but I did. Yeah, thank you for that. And you know, it's, it, you know more than I do because with the WWE and stuff, but uh, I was up, Kevin's, Kevin Von Erk's kids, uh, 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 Ross and... Um, uh, Marshall were wrestling up here in Sherman and Kevin called me and I went up and got a chance to see the boys wrestle and yeah. wow, you're talking about talented, you know, I mean, they, I think they got Carrie and Kevin's genes put together because yeah. Marshall's about six, five, wow. probably pushing two sixty and can do backflips off the ropes. Oh, is he going to the, uh, NXT wrestling school? You know, well, they, well, they, they, uh, Harley, they worked with Harley mm -hmm. and they're doing most of their work over in uh, Japan. Oh, really? Okay. And so Kevin had called me, would I go up and help him out with a finish? And so I went up to Sherman and, and got a chance, got their two great looking guys. Tell the whole story. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, they asked me to help them out with a finish. So I came up with a phenomenal finish for them. And I can't remember the guys they were working with. So I go up there and I lay this whole finish out. James Beard was their referee. And so I. I laid out, James says, I love it. I love it. And then I get over and tell the guys that they're going to go up against, and they're going, but we're the champions, and we're not supposed to switch the belt. <laughs> like, well, that, that finish won't work. <laughs> so, so we'll do another one. But um, but they've come down here and worked a couple times, yeah. and uh, they did All they? to Mesquite. Uh, let's see, Ross is a little bit younger than my son, Sean, so I'm going to say Ross has got to be around. 25, 26, yeah. I'm guessing. Marshall, a little younger than that. He's probably, yeah. uh, I'd say Marshall's been out of, because he was a phenomenal football player in high school. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm saying Marshall's probably around 22, 21, 22. He didn't play college ball? He didn't play college ball. He actually had an academic scholarship. He could have oh. went to, uh, uh, I want to say it's Army or one of them. Yeah. And, um, but they're doing great in Hawaii. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Kev's got a great place there in Kauai. And I guess. They, uh, yeah. It's a phenomenal place. And he's got all the houses there. And. 
so he had the whole family up there. You know, unfortunately, yeah. Doris passed away about. Uh, yeah, which I was not aware of. They told me while well, yeah, when we had him on the podcast, Doris was was still with us. So, yep. yeah, so good times. You know, Kevin. We, we, a lot of people don't know. Uh, whenever uh, it was right after probably Mike's death. Um, Kevin really stepped up, you know, and was working there in the office and coming in a lot. Because up until then, you know, you know yourself, they were on the road. For, oh, sure. We were doing two shows a night. Yeah, I know. And then I Kevin know. came in and started helping some with the booking. And uh, matter of fact, he and I bought homes out in South Lake, so we'd meet at my house a lot and yeah. and go over what we were gonna what we were gonna do then. And uh, uh, good times. I keep saying I'm gonna get up to Kauai. I don't know if you've been there, but man, he's got a great place. If you ever, if you're out, out that way, knowing Kevin. I picture a place like Tarzan's in a tree. <laughs> well, he's still barefooted. <laughs> Isn't that what I'm saying? He's still barefooted. I picture a place like Tarzan and Jane, right? In a big tree house or Swiss, like Swiss Family Robinson. That's how I see Kevin. I mean, just the outdoors guy, you know I mean? Well, unfortunately, I was on a cruise ship whenever they did the match here in Mesquite mm -hmm. and uh, sold out. They sold out Mesquite Stadium and... Uh, not only people Let me that tell you, it was still there. I want to say it was about, I would guess about 12,000. Wow. That's funny. And, uh, uh, could be 8,000. He, he, he managed, he managed the two boys, but then he came in for the big pop and the claw and that yeah. place just, you know, how, oh, sure. you know, I know people don't know how much they were over here. It was awesome. Oh, I it was do. great. <laughs> yeah. It was phenomenal. Well, go ahead, Dave, give us a, give us the joke he gave us a little while ago before we had our first middle <laughs> lane. Well, well, I gave Rick the joke of the day. I guess we can tell this on here, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I ask him what the difference is in a tire and 365 used condoms. <laughs> one's, a, one's a good year and one's a great year. <laughs> <laughs> ladies, and ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wound Age. <laughs> so I want to talk about... The one only about David Manning and, uh, and my good friend co-host and here in Dallas with us live, Conrad Thompson, second wealthiest man in the state of Alabama, owner of the Conradison, which now, as I have figured out, depending on where he is in, with, in life with individual women, is almost the second version of the Mustang Ranch, oh. which is in Reno, Nevada. So Conradison, Mustang Ranch, <laughs> Conrad Thompson. So Hello. <laughs> you've actually been to both uh, the Conradison and the Mustang Ranch. I have. Now, I don't know that you've talked about that before. Tell us a Mustang Ranch story. A Mustang Ranch story. It's real simple. Um, it's nothing wrong with it. Um, we were with in Las Vegas or in Reno for the uh, NWA convention. Normally we had it in, um, in Vegas, but for some reason we went to Reno and, uh, into Jimmy Crockett. And uh, another person, his name I can't mention because he is still married and still alive. And I, and uh, I, boy, I better not tell the story. We got a bit, we got a block of that. Then we'll get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. He's still married. I'm not sure what to be cooked. We'll edit this part of it. But anyway, I've been in the Mustang Ranch. <laughs> I spent $2,000 back in 1981. It's a lot of money to spend. That's a lot of money. Not wild horses. They, they have, they yeah. have. They every room they have like any you anything you can 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 what can conjure up in your mind that you might want to experience you can experience. You got the money, honey. I got the damn. Well, you know, for the longest time, I've never I, uh, I never went out there, never got to go. But used to in a cab, mm -hmm. 
you could mention the name, and they literally gave you a menu like you would have at a restaurant. Oh, it was a menu in the cabs. You, you, you know, you walk, it's still the same way. You walk in, so order a drink, and they hand you, and then they come out and do the, uh, they do the uh, circle wagon and the whole little blue. It's it's a different world now, man. They've got rolling billboards out there in Vegas now. Girls yeah. direct to your room. I mean, it's just out there. It's that, illegal, but that, out that, that, that's almost embarrassing. It is to think that people participate in stuff like this. Dave, what do you think? Let me have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so something I want to talk about that we uh, we didn't capture on the podcast last night is I asked, hey, where did the Rolex thing come from in wrestling? Because it seems like everybody's got one. I mean, on down the line. And I, I learned something last night that I guess I should have known. But uh, as I sit here today, you guys are both rocking gold president Rolexes. Uh, where did that come from? Where did it originate? The man right here. Yeah, I just started wearing them. I don't know. what it, it, You know, when I started wearing them, they weren't 50 grand a piece. You know what I mean? They were just 35. <laughs> yeah, don't you wish you would have kept all the first ones? You know, I kept trading them in like cars. You know, yeah. you, tra- you, you upgrade. Oh, but well, I didn't trade mine in. I lost mine. Would have been the best investments ever. Correct. You would have just kept them back when you could buy just, them for six to 12000 Yeah, continuously put in weird circumstances where my watches would disappear. Strange. You've got a good missing Rolex story. Is, is it finally time to share that on the podcast? Mm-hmm. Let me think. It's it's going into the new year. I'm not married. Um, it involves Sabatinos, I think. Yeah, yeah, probably pretty good. So I'm at uh, I'm with Undertaker and Kurt Henning, God rest his soul, and Horace Grant, who was playing for the Washington Capitals at that time, right? The That's, Bullets, the Bullets, Washington yeah. Bullets, and uh, we're drinking, having a good time, and. And somehow I, those guys went their way and I went my way. And because I had met some people during the day that I wanted to go downtown and eat with it, Sabatino's legendary, right? So I came back and, of course, I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and there's two strangers. How they got there, I have no idea. <laughs> One on each side of me, right? So I go, hey, how you doing? And I went, how are you guys? Nice to meet you. I'm regular. You know who they were, right? They sure. just came in on their own, got a key from the front desk. You know, I certainly wouldn't bring them in there. And I woke up and I went to get my stuff and my watch was gone. Now, these strangers, were they of the female variety? Yeah. Oh, wow. How they got there, I have no idea. But anyway, um, so I go to the girls. I go, um, I'm sorry, I don't know you guys, but, but I've just seen my watch. And they said, no. I said, come on, this is not funny. You know, it's, you know, it's a very expensive watch. And they said, well, we didn't take it. They said, said, you threw it in a bowl of spaghetti last night at Sabatino's and said, they had 11 more of them, so what the hell? <laughs> so, um, knowing that I couldn't call the cops because I probably would have created a little, you know, animosity at home, even though I didn't do anything. No, of I course just, not. Yeah, just innocently found a victim again. And uh, you gave refuge to some strangers. I gave refuge to strangers, right? I mean, sometimes you just yeah. can't turn people down, right? Sure, yeah. Send them out in the cold. I mean, you can't have, right? So no. It was November in Baltimore. It's very charitable of you, right? So, anyway. Earl Heather went down and went went through the dumpster looking for my watch and Sabatino's and I had, of course I called Kurt Henning. I said, "Really process what you just said." Rick Flair, the mm-hmm. world champion, is dumpster diving. Yeah, dumpster diving, looking for a forty thousand dollar Rolex, right? Because <laughs> uh, I had to go home the next day to Thanksgiving without my Rolex, so. I called Kurt Hang. I said, Kurt, I'm going to be to Cincinnati late. I lost my watch. These chicks stole it. You know, what the hell? What can I do? Um, so he said, okay, I won't tell anybody. I said, please don't tell anybody. So, bingo. I mean, look at what 
can't find it, get to Cincinnati, I walk in the door, Knobs hollers at me, hey, Flair, what time is it? <laughs> thanks, thanks, Kurt. <laughs> of course. So then after the matches that night, I had to, the next day I had to fly to Philadelphia, 8 a.m., call my friend Robbie Kane off, go into a jewelry store there and buy a brand new watch. It was identical except for the fact that it had baguettes instead of the regular diamond face, yeah, right? Same, same vessel. Squares instead of... Yeah, so I'm sitting there at Thanksgiving dinner, Megan, David, you know, and uh, <clears throat> Beth and whoever else was there. And uh, Megan goes to me, Dad, you got a new watch? I said, no, what are you talking about? It's not the same watch. I said, yeah, it is. But, and she wouldn't stop. And I was like, no, oh, Dad, come on, you can tell us. It's and this is at the Thanksgiving table? At my house, it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. she's wearing me out about my new watch. So finally, Beth goes, you going to watch? I said, no. Then, then came that look. <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> nothing. I know nothing. To this day, I haven't invented it. <laughs> you can't tell the truth. You know that. How great is that? Yeah. But the world champion, don't I, I wouldn't it. have wanted a Yanker scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, one night, uh, I lost my wedding ring. Oh, I did. This, that was, one, this was one of my exes. That, that my, so my ex didn't believe me. You know, she didn't believe me at all. And she was like, uh, you know, you threw it away. You didn't wear it. You didn't blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I really didn't lose it. And so we go out and we buy a brand new one. Well, you know, going into the ring, you never wore the ring in the ring the because in case you break your finger or something, you can't get it off. So I take it off, put it in my pocket. I've only had it two days. So I come, this is Monday night. We're at Will Rogers Coliseum. Yeah. I come back. I'm getting dressed. I put my shoes on. Got was I with you? It wasn't me that night. No. So I reach in the pocket, pull the ring out, and I drop it. And it's rolling like it's just rolling across the floor. So Bill Irwin's standing there. He turns around and sees it. He thinks it's a coin and stomps it <laughs> to stop it. Wow. He mashed that summit so flat. I mean, it's like mashed together, and I'm like... Oh, uh, shit. She's never believing that. Yeah. <laughs> Two days I had it. <laughs> uh, well, some people just aren't meant to wear rings. I mean, I, I've lost a few wedding rings, too, I assure you. We were uh, we were talking last night, and, uh, David, you started talking a lot about the um, Yellow Rose of Texas and uh, what a big event that was when they wrestled in the Cowboy Stadium all those years ago. Uh, but you mentioned something that I don't think a lot of people know, and that's how popular the merchandise was in world class. And it, just in that particular show, what programs were and all those details that I think a lot of people maybe don't give world-class credit for. Oh, we, uh, I handled all the souvenirs as Wake knows. And, um, I mean, it was such a money-making machine. We, back then you could buy, we'd buy the color pictures of mainly the Von Erichs, obviously. But we had the color pictures started out of them. I could buy them for 24 cents uh, on the high day, 26 cents. And we sold them for uh, $3 back then. And uh, then when Iceman and gentleman Chris Adams and all the baby faces started really getting popular here, it, it turned into a major business. The Yellow Rose of Texas, we did a special um, a program, had the big Yellow Rose and David Von Erich and the, the uh the whole memory, the jacket, the whole works. And uh, at Texas A&M, we sold $102,000 just of programs. How much were the programs? Uh, the programs were $2. Wow. $2. Yeah. We sold 50-something thousand. That's amazing. And um, not to mention the pictures. And then we had these badges. You know, one of the hottest things was buttons. Yeah. yeah. They, they would buy those buttons, and it would just be a snapshot of something going on in the ring or something, you know, sunshine. I, I, you wouldn't believe how much stuff we sold of sunshine. 
when yeah. she was popular, yeah. you know. And then the birds came, yeah. and the birds kind of switched everything because for the first time, they came here as baby faces because when yeah. Michael came, but then it's like we got, you know, six top. Yeah. In order to in order to make money here, you had to come in as a heel if you really wanted to make money because you wanted to work against Von Erichs. And it was the perfect matchup when they came, but they were the first ones, even when they turned heel, they had a huge following. Oh, of course. So we yeah. would sell a lot of their merchandise. Kabuki. We sold yeah, a lot of they, Kabuki. They were like the modern-day NWO. Exactly. Do you think they were really like the first um, cool heel gang, like cool heel faction that was selling merchandise like that and was that popular? Because that was a couple of years even before the Horsemen, right? It was, and they had some of their own stuff. Because when they came in, uh, they were working with a guy named Jimmy Papa here, and uh, they did the, the uh, back then, the CD. Um, the album. Uh, the album. They did the album, you know, Bad Street USA, yeah. Last yeah. House on the Rock. Michael can really sing. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, oh, we used to do radio shows here in Dallas. We would do the radio shows for um, Cliff, and we would go in. And they get Michael. Michael, you know, Hayes has got that voice. Oh, I know. Like a DJ. I mean, Absolutely. he's got that. Baby's you know, yeah. got her blue jeans on. <laughs> so he would crank Down it Down in the corner. But it was huge business. The souvenirs, I mean, and what, what we could have done with it, because we, we just started putting it. Uh, actually, the guys, I can't remember the name of the store. There were some guys that had had, uh, had a hot franchise that was coming out with all the new. Uh, uh, it would be, I would have to compare it to. Um, uh, the store that carries all the hot Levi's and the different kind of stuff. But they they came in and wanted to market for us and take it. Back then, the internet was just coming around, yeah. and they wanted to sell on TV, which we had never done. You know, Kevin and I, we tried our best to get Fritz to pay-for-view the Texas Stadium show. Wow. I th and no telling what it would have done, because we had, we had people from all over the world riding in, trying to get here, uh, and then... Plus the fact at that time, that was the biggest wrestling event that had ever been held in the U.S. Oh, yeah. What was it, 68,000? Uh, actually paid, it was 40-something thousand. Okay. The stadium only held 60,000. Okay. So we had everything but pretty much that far in and the top. Mm -hmm. And it stayed that way. That stayed the record until Vince did the Canadian show. Yeah. The the WrestleMania there. Yeah. Well, the, for the, well, the one in, uh, the, the one in uh, uh, Michigan was, was first, and then uh, Toronto was second. Yeah, up and and up until here, Watts they had the record for the at the Superdome. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he had the, the JYD, the dog. Yeah, yeah. I wrestled uh, Terry Taylor that night, and, and Muhammad Ali was the referee. Pretty <laughs> really? Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. that's very cool. Yeah. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play dot it. What did Terry Taylor spend any time on World Class? Yeah, he came in a couple of times, but. He never really spent, you know, any any time here. It would just be like we had a big show. We brought in uh, when we did the started doing the uh, Thanksgiving reunion arenas and the Christmas Day reunion arenas. We would have different stars come in. The one match I always wanted to put together that I think we could have probably sold out whatever we wanted to sell out was I wanted to put the Warriors and Kevin and Kerry together. Oh yeah, yeah. the Road Warriors. Yeah, I mean, but they were hot. Yeah. I mean, everybody well, was afraid sure. of them. Their gimmick was yeah. so good. Yeah. yeah. You know, but we couldn't figure out how we'd do the match without them killing each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they were big time players. Uh, Mike and Joe <clears throat> were really a big part of the NWA. Absolutely. And uh, early WCW. And AWA. And I mean, everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. They yep, were a big they were deal great. everywhere. Good workers, too. 
we uh we actually went to twitter and asked some uh folks if they had any questions for you david because you've been like we said our most requested guest uh we got one from brendan smith um were you rick or david manning ever concerned about working with carrie when he was uh quote unquote altered was that something that was a routine or regular concern or not so much no not really um we dealt with it huh yeah we, we dealt with it yeah you dealt with it and it, it, it a lot of times it was overblown yeah and, uh, and he was always very safe i can say this regardless of whether i liked it or not he was a nice kid we all knew there was an issue but he was at, no matter what happened he was very safe with me and i let him press slam me you know slam me off the top suplex me it just uh, the disappointing part for me is that he could have been i mean he could have been anything he wanted to be right so if i walked away from it it wasn't because we weren't sold out it wasn't because it was painful or hard because i was with david having a good time sure i was sold out because i felt bad that he wasn't you know he wasn't gonna get what he deserved in terms of his athletic ability i mean he was a world-class discus thrower in college yeah right behind mac wilkins you can look it up he threw it what 198 feet or oh yeah 208 feet at the university of the record had a had uh yeah uh would have went to the olympics but that's the year they boycotted yeah okay well he had phenomenal yeah. athlete. i mean fritz fritz held the record at smu for years throwing the discus wow yeah so he so he helped personally help carry they had a they had a ring right there at the ranch uh out in lake dallas and carry would throw out there and brian adias brian gower brian would mm -hmm. go over there and throw with him um but yeah i mean that's the thing about them they were they were David was phenomenal at basketball. Right. Could have went on and played college ball. Uh, Kevin was North the strongest State. as a freshman, was the strongest on campus in on the football team and the fastest and was a running back. And then, unfortunately, never even got to do anything because, he, first of all, he tears the left knee or might have been his right knee, tore all the ligaments. Back then, you had to have the knife. Right. So he, yeah. he's laid up for almost three months, and then he turns around uh, two months back and tears the other one. Yeah. He was in North, in North Texas State, home of Mean Joe Green. <laughs> yeah. That, actually, that's where uh, Steve Austin played, too, mm -hmm. right? Steve Austin. Yeah, that makes sense. North Texas State, yep. Uh, Brian Lee on Twitter writes in, ask David Manning the biggest rib from the Freebirds. There had to be some good Freebird ribs back in the day. Gosh. Well, I, as I told last time what they would always do with Buddy, I mean, their ribs were mostly always on Buddy. <laughs> you know, poor Buddy. I mean, they just beat the hell out of him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if he got drunk and passed out, uh, he's liable to show up with marks a lot all over his face and his eyes. And um, i tell you the best one. The best rib the Freebirds did was they're going to wrestle in the Superdome. They're leaving here. Terry and Michael are driving. Buddy's flying. Buddy's actually flying in and and coming in with uh, uh, Bill Watts. And, and so the match is going to be Buddy, uh, Terry, and Michael against Bill Watts. I can't remember the other the other two people that were on Bill's team. Mm -hmm. And it's the Dome. It's a big match. Well, as this is summertime, driving through Louisiana, you know, the temperature is probably 110. Yep. Michael sees a possum on the side of the road, dead. Oh. Well, they've got Buddy's bag. Oh. So they stop, they take the possum, and they put it in Buddy's bag. And they zip it up, and they put it in the trunk. Oh, wow. Now they drive, 
for like uh, 12 hours that thing's to baking. get to the dome. And, and I mean, it's a, over 100 degrees. And you got to know Buddy to understand the joke. So they're in the dressing room. I know. I wasn't there. But they're in the dressing room. And it's packed because they had a they had like a 50-man battle royal. So this the dressing room is packed, both the dressing rooms. Buddy reaches and gets the bag. Now, I don't know how many people out there have ever smelled death. Oh. But Buddy unzips the bag, and literally guys are throwing up. They're running out of the room. And Buddy just sits there like nothing's wrong, reaches and gets the possum, goes over and puts it in the can, puts his clothes on. That were in the bag. That were in the bag. And so then they got to have the match. And so they go out to the ring and they put Buddy on one side of the of the corner and Michael and Terry get on the other side because they don't want to stand next to him. Sure. And so Gordy starts the match and he and he and Michael are tagging in out. Well, as soon as Watts tags in, they tag Buddy in. <laughs> and Buddy goes and ties up with Bill Watts and Bill Watts says, what the F? And just throws Buddy through the ropes and is looking like, what the hell's happening? <laughs> 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 that is awesome. Poor buddy guy. <laughs> Talking about in-ring stuff, on the way to dinner last night, David, you shared a story about the time you refereed a match between Sting and Rick, and I thought that was priceless. Oh, yeah. Well, well I hadn't seen him in quite a while, and I came through. And, Sting, uh, me. Yes, I hadn't seen Sting in a while. I'd seen Rick, and so we get in the ring, and I'm looking at Sting. Well, to me, it looked like he had lost weight. Yeah. Well, you know, saying something like that to one of the guys that's working out every day. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I walked over to Rick. He's in the corner, and I looked at him, and I said, has Sting lost weight? He goes, call us to the middle. Hurry, call us to the middle. <laughs> so I go to the middle of the ring. I said, both of you come to the middle. So Sting comes to the middle, and Rick and Rick's got his finger out like he's talking to him, and Rick says, Manning wants to know if you've lost weight. I'm glad that did. Don't give me an opportunity this season. The season moment. Well, give us that a joke. Come on. Oh, I don't know. Come on. Well, I told him last night if, uh, if you like to play golf, mm -hmm. two guys are playing golf. Yeah. So they're 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 on the fairway and. They tee off and they get stuck behind these two women. God, the women are playing slow and they keep thinking, oh, they'll let us play through. <laughs> so finally they get to this long par five and the two women hit down the middle and they're down there messing around. And so one of them said, that's it. That's it. I'm going to go down and I'm going to tell them we're playing through. And the other guy's like, go tell them. So he walks all the way down to the fairway. He gets about halfway there. He turns around and comes back. And the guy said, you tell them? He goes, Jesus, one of them's my wife. The other one's my girlfriend. <laughs> he goes, oh, shit, you stay here. I'll go tell them. So the guy goes down, comes back. He goes, did you tell him? He goes, what a coincidence. <laughs> that is all I can't take it. I could do this all day long. Every day, I, I know any time I'm stressed out. I just just call David Manning. Call David Manning. He used to do that. Yeah. Used he used to do that. I'd be there. Dave, Dave, I'm here with so-and-so. Here, give us one. <laughs> like I couldn't remember the jokes. I mean, sure. if he oh, would get on a plane, he would, he would. Crack deflated tenants up telling them jokes. That was unreal. He told us one today we can't tell him to guess. <laughs> tell the, the story at dinner last night when, when we're talking about real estate. and. Okay, so we're having dinner with my friend Chris here in, in Dallas that owns um, <clears throat> Fishbones, really popular uh, restaurant right across the street from AT&T Stadium. We're going yeah. actually, we're going to the game tonight. Cowboy Stadium, yeah. Going to Cowboy Stadium. We're going to go see um, <clears throat> Alabama, Roll Tide. Versus Michigan State, David and I and Conrad and our spouses. And um, um, so Chris says to David, hey, I got a hunk of real estate 
right next to where my place is, and he would be interested in investing in it. And so um, <laughs> David goes, yeah, I might look at it. He goes, he said, I said, David's got the money to do everything he wants to do. So <laughs> so David takes out the credit card. He, he throws him the, the platinum, right? Then yeah, he, first I throw the platinum American Express. Platinum, and he goes, okay, and then he throws him. No, he says, you don't have black, so then I pull the black out. I throw the black. So then Conrad starts throwing credit cards. No, then he goes, yeah. I want to hear the tin one. <laughs> so after I've got 20 credit cards on a table with about $30 million worth of credit on them, right? All of a sudden, David, man, David takes off 5000 cash of what's on the table, right? And then he goes, he goes to my friend Chris, don't let me go to my, to my left pocket. <laughs> Oh, it's been hilarious, God. What a time we're having. Absolutely. Don't uh, make me go to my left pocket. It's probably my second favorite. Oh, God. <laughs> the, the other joke he told today is my favorite. Yeah, that's pretty hard to beat. <laughs> yeah, we can't he, tell the kids. I'm sorry. Marv on Twitter uh, asked a great question uh, that I'm sure there's a fun story about. At the Sportatorium, uh, there was the little crowd crossing rope, and then there was a fan who kind of jumped over that and into the ring with Big John Studd when he was under a hood. Do you remember that? Is there a fun story with that? The only thing that was fun about people jumping in the ring, because you know what happens back then, and I don't know, maybe the same way now. It was really bad because if a, if a if a guy jumps in the ring, the the, the baby face really can't do anything to no, him. You got But he'll get the heat. So guess who gets to beat him up? Me. So I always got excited when somebody jumped in the ring. You know, one night one night somebody jumped in on Buddy Roberts and they just jumped on him. And I guarantee the guy's got a collar fly ear because I waffled him in the ear <laughs> solid about 10 straight times, you know. And, uh, but, um, you know, Big John Stud, though, anybody jumps in the ring, him, he was a big guy. Yeah. The it. best one was Kamala. Kamala was wrestling. And when he first came in here, Kamala goes outside the ring and some guy runs up behind Kamala. And, and I don't think the average fans realize how hard it is in the ring. They you know everybody thinks, oh, it's padded. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Some rings, as you know, have no pads. Mm -hmm. The ropes alone hitting that steel cable mm -hmm. for a person that's never done it, it hurts like hell. Yeah. It'll bruise them like nobody's business. But plus, they just, they're just they used to just taking punches after punch after punch. Well, Kamala goes outside the ring. Guy runs up behind him with a wooden chair, smashes it on the back, on his back. Mm -hmm. And it would almost be like someone that gets bit by a mosquito. Yeah. Kamala just kind of flinched and then turns around. Yeah. And the guy runs like hell yeah sure uh but it's what we do for a living they yeah. don't get it if you jump in the ring it was not good because they would make an example out of you yeah you know especially the hill yeah, in the carolinas in the south was where it happened all the time they were really rough on the, on the guys that got in the ring really real bad yep uh marv who's obviously a big world-class fan send a lot of great questions in this is probably one you'll like david uh, are there any examples you can list of Fritz's generosity to common people who were non-wrestlers? Yeah. Well, Fritz, we, uh, one, we took, uh, 10% of everything that come through here and we put it in a fund. And, um, uh, Fritz was real involved with the church out there in Lake Dallas. And, um, so especially around Christmas time, he wouldn't give people money, but he might take them and buy groceries, stuff like that. But. We bought, uh, when we were doing the Easter Seals Telethon every year, we actually bought a whole wing out there, a playground that's, uh, till this day, it's called the David Von Erich wing. Oh, cool. And after David died, that's what we did. We, uh, we bought a wing out there for, uh, Easter Seals for the kids to play on. 
That's with great. some specialty type swings and stuff. Yeah. But um, Fritz was, uh, yeah, you know more than I as far as paying out, but, you know, seemed as though he paid out pretty good. Most of the guy, most of the boys like their checks when they come through here. Yeah. But, um, um, but he was a hard guy to work for. Yeah. You know, uh, my job, you know, when I first started, but by the time it was all said and done, I was Fritz's right-hand guy. Mm-hmm. And he and I would either talk on the phone or I'd go meet him every Thursday. And we would literally go over what took place in the booking meeting. Yeah. So he kind of stayed on top of everything through me. But it was hard for me to delegate to other people things that I needed done. Yeah. Because if Fritz told you something he wanted done and you delegated it and it didn't get done, he could care less who you delegated to. Yeah. You were answering to Fritz. Right. Yeah. You know, um, I was fired more than uh, two times just because of the man sitting next to me. Right before I <laughs> down, you know, <laughs> Fritz, the last time he looks at me and he says, Look at me. You are not Ric Flair's personal freaking. He used a different word, chauffeur. <laughs> you weren't. We just had fun. Oh, we did have fun. Oh, did God. we tell the uh, Rambo story on the last podcast? No. Oh, just oh, Rambo. This is a classic. It never gets old. We got to share this one. Well, Rick comes to town and uh, Lex Luger after the matches. So Luger, it, Rick, and yeah, Ryan is long gone now. We know. we get a limo and uh, we well we had the limo. We left. Re, uh, we left reunion. So we go down to uh, Luger wanted to go to the million dollar saloon. He'd yeah. heard about the million dollar saloon, which was a big strip point downtown. One of the biggest, nicest. So we go down there and, uh, we go, did, to, I, did I ever go in? Yeah. You waited at the yeah. car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were dumpster diving. <laughs> dumpster diving. You were passing on scallops. <laughs> but, uh, we, uh. So we get down there and there's three guys all night long that are heckling us. And they're really heckling Rick. And, you know, every time, uh, cause it was funny because the girl that was serving us, Rick's convinced he's going to get her to take her top off. She won't do it. So every time she comes, he's like, there, uh, there's a table and he keeps laying hundred dollar bills out right there, honey, right there. Take it off. She's like, no, no, I can't do it. So then she'd bring us another shot and she'd have a shot and Rick, he'd be added to the pile. Now there'd be like $600 bills. Come on. She's like, oh, I can't do it. Well, finally, he's got over a thousand bucks out there, and here come all the other girls, and they're looking at her. Are you crazy? Take the top off. So she ended up getting the money. <laughs> but anyway, we go to leave, and we're, I would say, luckily we had a driver. So we go out, and as we're leaving, um, I don't remember what was said, but as uh, Luger had already got in, Rick had already gotten the limo. I get in the limo, and just as I get in, the the one loudmouth says something and I don't know what it was, but it just kind of set me off. So we get in and back then I had the, the watch, the nugget, the gold yeah. nuggets, the change, $20 gold. He had, he had his, uh, Mr. D kit on. Yeah. yeah. Starter kit. And so, uh, all of a sudden I start taking all this stuff off and laying it on the seat. And I look at Rick and I say, and I thought he was just kidding. I mean, I didn't know he, he just, I mean, I've seen him do it before, but I thought God, no way he's going to go out here. Sure enough. So I'm like, this is for you, Rick. So I get out. And they're kind of down this little hill, probably about 20, I'm going to say 25, 30 feet away. So the loudmouth is in the middle. Guy to the left is pretty good size. The guy to the right a little smaller. So as I'm walking towards them, I'm kind of talking as if we're going to talk. But I'm already analyzing that I'm going to, I used to wear this big Texas nugget ring. So I'm just thinking I'm going to waffle this guy that's uh, loudmouth. And then I'm going to headbutt this one on the left. And then I'm going to kick this one on the right. So I've got it all built out in my mind, right? So I get down there, 
Bam. Sure enough, I deck this guy from the front, headbutt this one. Not enough time to get the kick. Here's the, this guy punches me and the fight's on. So the three of them were fighting and we fight all the way back up. You know, I got six fists coming from everywhere. We fight all the way back to the limo. We're behind the limo and Luger and uh, Rick get out. And I'm like, no, no. You guys can't interfere till after, actually, after actually, round two. David was doing real good. He wasn't. He, he was. He was backtracking, but he wasn't giving ground. I'm sorry. I, I said you guys can't. I interfere. was laughing because Luger didn't know him. I said, I "Told you he's crazy." <laughs> so I said, "You guys can interfere after round two. So just as I go to plow into him again, I look and here comes the police, and I'm like, "Oh Jesus!" So I go get in the car, and the limo's pulling out, and all of a sudden we hear. <laughs> on the window. So we roll the window down, the cop pointing at me and he's like, come out here. So we, I get out of the car. He says, I'm going to have to put you under arrest. And, uh, so he arrests me and the three guys and he puts them in the back of the car. Well, the one guy that I hit, I caught him good with the ring. He is split wide open over his, uh, the, his, uh, eyebrow. And so here we go downtown. I'm in the front seat. We're going downtown. The limo's following. I had forgotten this story. <laughs> so we go all the way down to, to, to the police station and I have to go in, I have to get, you know, Finger through all the crap and the yeah. pictures. And so the cop comes in, he says, Hey, the Rick Flair and them are out there waiting on you. <laughs> and, uh, uh, of course we were. Yeah. He said, here's the deal. When you go to court, I have to be there. You tell the judge it was self-defense. These guys jumped you because he said, there's no judge in the world going to think you were dumb enough to go jump on three guys. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I'll back you up. And he did. I went to court, didn't get in any kind of trouble. We bailed out the way we went. That's awesome. Had a big meeting the next day, met my friend, Brian Dorsey. That's how first time I met him. I said, I have your shirt. I got to go to a meeting. He said, what the hell happened to you? I had my shirt was all ripped and oh, Jesus. I looked like I'd been in a freaking, I was in, I wake up, I'm in Rick's room, sleeping on the floor. And I'm thinking, what the hell happened? I'm looking at my face and <laughs> <laughs> lots of people wake up in your room with no idea what happened. I know, I mean, including myself. <laughs> but it was fun. So from that point on, when I'd show up at the matches, it was Rambo. <laughs> Rambo. <laughs> Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Hey, you got to tell the story. He doesn't know the story. And it, it's not one that's going to embarrass you, but it's fabulous about a fighting with the guy over the over the uh, parking space. Parking space, the guy tried to kick you. <laughs> no, God, this is great. This is when he was hustling in the bowling alley. Yeah. So anyway, so I got a couple of buddy of mine's with uh, buddy of mine. They uh, we ride up there, and uh, Bobby's in the front seat with me. And so anyway, I pull in to Chili's parking lot, and this was when I'm oh I don't know twenty eight, twenty nine years old, twenty seven. I pull in, there's a guy backing out of a parking place. So he backs out a little bit and I'm just going to wait on that space. It's kind of crowded. And so I'm waiting Well, he backs out, he stops, starts backing out and he stops. And I'm like, what the heck? And he backs out, right. but he's looking at me the whole time. And I'm like, just chilling. I'm talking to my, you know, my friends. And so finally he backs out and out of the blue, he just gets out of his car and uh, kind of a oriental looking guy. And he's like, you got a problem? And I'm, I'm looking at him like I'm looking at my buddies and Bobby's like, kick his ass, Dave, kick his ass, Dave. You know, and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, well, what the hell? You know, it's a, I'm like, I get out and I'm like, I just want the parking place. And he also gets all obnoxious on me. So I'm like, okay, I will kick your ass. 
So I start walking towards him. And shit, all of a sudden he's like Jackie Chan. This guy comes flying through the <laughs> air and gives one of these side kicks. And he caught me right in my solar plex and knocked the wind out of me. Right. I mean, and, you know, when that happens, you feel like you're dead. Absolutely. You can't breathe. You can't get a breath. I literally just went face down on the concrete. And I remember seeing his license plates as he drove off. <laughs> so wow. I don't know. I guess he was just setting me up or whatever. But it was... uh. It was not cool in front of my buddies. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Not cool in front of my buddies. Um, Marv wrote uh, some more great questions about world-class. Um, specifically, this is a fun one. Uh, any stories about Missy Hyatt or Sunshine? He says more but after that, but I'll just, I'll delete that part. We won't, we won't reference that, but Missy came up here, right? Yeah. Missy Hyatt was here. Uh, what a trip she was. Um, it, it's actually, it became major drama because first when Sunshine came, she was the valet for Jimmy Garvin. Right. Then Jimmy Garvin brings in Precious, which was his wife. Right. But Sunshine was actually a true relative. Oh, I didn't know that. And they end up getting into it for real. I mean, it's like, I'll never forget Lawton, Lock, Oklahoma. We had a cage match that night. And so Garvin... Uh, Precious, Sunshine, and Chris Adams, they're going to go at it. And I'm trying to have a talk with the girls backstage. Look, let's just have a good match. Sure. Oh, hell. As soon as her and uh, Precious got in the ring, it was true flat-ass cat fight. I mean, they were yanking hair, pulling. Um, but I guess the best Missy Hyatt story was uh, we're at Texas Stadium. Uh, she was... Seeing John Tatum, she was also work uh, kind of like his valet. Right. And Missy Hyatt and Sunshine are going to do a mud match. And so here we've got this huge uh, kind of like a rubber container we had bought. Years before the Attitude Era did this. Yeah. yeah. And so we, had, we, we filled it with mud. And the mud they used was so slimy, it was crazy. It was like super slippery. And... Uh, so John Tatum's wearing this really nice um, jogging suit. I mean, it's like, you know, probably $150, $200 jogging suit. It's really nice. So he's making, he's telling everybody, do not get the mud on me. So we go out there <laughs> and I go out there and I'm going to referee, but I actually, Rick Hazard was refereeing. I came out when Tatum was trying to interfere. So I come out and I'm in a jogging suit. So I go out and I hit the ring and, oh my God, Missy Hyatt and Sunshine are covered from head to toe in this mud. Well, they had, they had figured out, they had it figured out that when I got there, they're going to throw me in the mud. When I'm already dressed, I'm dressed. I've got, you know, my clothes, my wallet. So Tatum all of a sudden comes from behind, gets me and is going to throw me in the mud. And I'm like, I'm telling you, don't do it. And it's a, it's a true fight to get right. me in the mud. Well, I'm like, fine. If I'm going, I grab that brand new yeah. uh, jogging suit he had on, and we all go in the mud. And uh, this is at Texas Stadium, Missy Hyatt and Sunshine. Oh, yeah. And so pretty soon we get to the dressing room, and Missy's, all I can hear is I'm in the shower trying to get the mud off of me. And all I can hear is Missy Hyatt. And she's like, I can't see anything. I can't see anything. And I turn around, and here's naked Missy Hyatt <laughs> covered with mud from head to toe. How was that? <laughs> 
good back then. <laughs> and uh, and John Tatum trying to wash the mud off of her, and it took forever to get the mud off of her. Yeah, uh, sure. But uh, he, he was washing the mud off of her. He took his time. She yeah. in Israel. <laughs> in Israel, um, we went there during Passover, and so you can't you couldn't have a fire. You know, people just didn't work. Uh, well, after about four days, every day we're eating eggs, raw, you know, the boiled and all of this stuff and cheeses and fish. And so all of a sudden I get a phone call. You got to come over here. Missy Hyatt's thrown a tantrum. And she had literally, they had invited him to this special dinner with the rabbis and all this. Well, as she's going through the line, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she just jumps up, starts throwing her food. I want a McDonald's burger. I'm tired of this shit. You know, blah, 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 blah. Oh, my God. And I got to go over there and deal with it, you know. And uh, that's when all the boys actually went in. I get up the next morning. I can't find any of the boys. And the guy comes, oh, my God, they're in the kitchen. They had literally gone back in the kitchen and told everybody, get out. We can cook. Is that right? Oh, yeah. That, all the boys, they had the eggs and bacon. and <laughs> Wow. Jesus. <laughs> and they like, they, I walked in there, Manny, we're going to eat. <laughs> Don't say a word. <laughs> that's great. That's the trip Chris Adams We'll tell the Chris Adams story when I had to get him out of the country. Yeah. That trip, um, the Hills were staying at one one hotel. We were staying over at the Plaza. And uh, so I get a call and because uh, I always got the calls. You got to get over here. Chris Adams beat up the bartender. So I go to the other hotel. Well, when I get there, there's an amulet there and all this kind of crap. Well, Chris, you know, the, the super kick was a shoot. Yeah. I mean, he was really good. His brother was Olympic judo. Yeah. So Chris had got intoxicated, got in, a, got in an argument with the bartender, and super kicks him. And the way he super kicked him, it knocked his eye out. Oh, my. I mean, for real. Out. Came out. And uh, then Chris just continued to beat him up. Wow. And uh, so I get Chris taking back over to the other hotel. So I can't remember. This This guy that he got in a fight with was, uh, uh, you know, over there you got, like, different tribes or different uh, things that people are part of, the Arabs, the— and so, anyway, whatever they were, they believed in, no pun intended, an eye, an eye for an eye. So yeah. they weren't going to take it. They didn't care about the police or anything. So Avi Friedman comes to me, and he's like, you got to get Chris out of here. You know, they're going to they're gonna come lock him up. Well, when you arrive there, they take your passports, and they lock them in the damn safe. So Avi says, I can't help you, but you got to get Chris out of here. And he said, I'm just saying this. Tonight, the safe will be open. Yeah. So I go get Chris. I said, we got to get out of here. I said, I'll, so we, we get the flight booked. So literally at like 12 o'clock at night, we sneak out of the hotel. I sneak down to the hotel. I go behind the, where they check you in, go back in the back. I go in where all the passports are at. I get Chris's passport, bring it out. He and I go out. We get a cab. We walk down the road a little bit, got a cab. We go to the airport and we don't know if he's locked into the country or not. So we get to the airport, we go in, I watch him go all the way through. And once he gets through security and is gone, well, now I got to haul ass back because we're getting close now to four in the morning. I got to go all the way from the airport back to the plaza in Tel Aviv. So I go back, I get there, park down the street, come back, go up to my room, get in my room. And I haven't been in my room 30 minutes till there's a knock on the door, open the door and here's police. And they're like, you know where Chris Adams is? I'm like, no, I've been sleeping. And uh, 
We literally got him out of the country within about 30 minutes, or he might have never left that country. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was it was bad. Yeah. We yeah. wonder why new wrestling has a bad reputation in some places. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've just, we, we've made some disastrous, so that we, we have left some places in disastrous He made an conditions. impression. Huh? Made an impression. Yeah. Jesus. So we were talking about uh, world champions last night here at the bar. And you brought up Lou Thess. And I don't think we've talked about Lou a lot on the podcast. And both of you guys had experience with Lou. And Danny Hodge came up. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Danny Hodge or Lou Thess. Well, I knew them both. Uh, and I actually, um, of course, I never wrestled either one of them. Um, but um, I was fortunate enough that they both liked me. Right. And... Um, um, we were talking about really tough guys in the business, you know, and the difference between now and then and all that. Like for Luthez, he was a world champion, but it was, it, it was not a work. Lou thought he could beat anybody, right? And he took on all comers. All yeah. comers. And, 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 and the guys were afraid of him. He was tough. Yeah. Danny Hodge the same way, but Danny was easy going. Danny was just, uh, you know, but Danny Hodge was double tough, man. Yeah, crush apples with his hands, break no, pliers, pliers. Break a pliers. He had double tendons. Yeah, the apples, forget it. I mean, when he could take a pliers and crush the handles, twist off a shower knob in the shower, I mean, he with his grip, I mean, we got disqualified in the Olympics for breaking the Russian's arm with it, with the grip, with his grip. And with that, you know, see, uh, when I first got into business, Danny Pletches, Bulldog Danny Pletches, was working actually uh, on the office side, but he would still work a little bit. But Pletch used to travel with Thez uh, all over the world. And Thez would take on all comers. So if there was anybody that thought they could beat Lou Thez and they were a tough guy or whatever, no problem, book yeah. the match. Well, after uh, Thez kind of started getting on up in age a little bit, what they would do is Pletchus, if they thought they had a ringer coming in that he might have trouble with, they would have Pletchus wrestling the night before and beat the hell out of him. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then, because uh, Pletchus was another guy that yeah. was tougher than nail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. told a great story last night, David, about Harley Race with a bunch of bikers who thought they were badasses at a show, and he and Harley approached them. Share that story with Yeah, them. Iceman King Parsons, who was a big star here. Ice told me that uh, he was up uh, working for Don Owens mm -hmm. in uh, Portland. And so... Uh, after the matches were over, I guess these bikers, and I don't know what group it was, you know, back back in the 80s, you had the Hells Angels, you had others. But anyway, these bikers were there, and they were up causing some trouble with a couple of the boys. And uh, Harley saw it. And so Harley walked down to the ring in his flip-flops. He had his flip-flops on. He'd been in a shower, walks down, just got a little pair of tights on, and um, walks up to the bikers and out of nowhere says, so you guys are tough guys, huh? And he said, which one's the toughest? Why don't you go a couple of minutes with the world champion? So one of them steps up. Look, I can kick your ass. So they get in the ring. I mean, within instant, Harley gut punches him, kicks him, pulls his head down, gets him in a front face lock, lifts up so hard, the guy peed himself. Wow. Yeah. So Harley was <laughs> tough. <laughs> yeah. But Harley, would, well, what Harley did a couple of times, I've seen it. They never got through the ropes. The minute they'd been over, <laughs> they were coming through the ropes. Just in case, <laughs> they, never, they never got their head straightened up, man. Yeah. And he was left-handed. They never saw it coming, man. And he was mean. Wow. Yeah, the greatest story that I've ever seen and witnessed was one night this karate guy in West Palm Beach challenges uh, 
Harley comes in every week, right? So the guy comes through the ropes, Harley nails him, boom, kicking his butt. So four more guys jumped in the ring. Larry Henning was there that night, Kurt's father, right? Yeah. He takes the tube sock and puts the hockey puck in, right? He runs down to the ring, swinging this damn thing, right? It comes. This is a grand. I've never told this story. He gets in the ring. And here's Larry, three hundred six five, yeah. three hundred thirty pounds. Right. He's swinging his damn sock. It came all the way around and hit him right. It knocked him off the ground. <laughs> knocked him to his knees. Oh, <laughs> yeah, my, uh, oh yeah. Harley didn't kneel, but Harley would um, make no mistake. Larry Henning was tough too. Absolutely. Really tough. Yeah. Funnier than hell too. Yes. Great guy. I, I had hoped he'd come to Minneapolis last week at Raw, but uh, uh, Joel Kurt's son said that he, he just had too much going on. And, and the, apparently uh, Joel's grandmother was uh, not feeling well. So, But Larry Henning's a classic. I saw his uh, induction at the Cauliflower Alley, and, man, he was yeah. the highlight. Yeah. He's, he had him rolling. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Yep, fearless. Um, great question here, again, from Marv, who's obviously a huge world-class fan. Uh, I wanted to know a little bit about the Brian Adidas and Von Erich story. Do you know the history behind that? Yeah, Brian, Brian, uh, it was Brian Gower was his real name. Uh, still a very good friend of mine. Uh, Brian um, and Kerry grew up together, played football together at Lake Dallas, same grade, worked out together. And uh, so when Kerry got in the business, it wasn't long after he brought Brian into the business. And so Brian came in as a baby face. And we called him Brian Adias. And um, we're good. Was always obviously, you know, in the middle, semifinals, stuff like that. And um, great athlete. And then uh, we got a pretty good run out of it when he turned on Kerry. Because here they were. And the people, you know, the people here, and I always say this is what made world class so different. The fans saw the Von Erichs grow up. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, I mean, all the way back when Fritz would come to the ring and he'd have him, and Kevin wasn't more than, you know, uh, uh, sixth grade, fifth grade. So all of these people out there, they, they lived it. I mean, these were like their boys. Yeah. And so as they grew up and then when they broke into the business, um, and like Brian Diaz, that was the best run he got because he became a heel. He teamed up with uh, Chris Adams. As a matter of fact, one of the big matches we had here was, uh, Chris Adams and Brian Diaz. Again, no, no, I'm wrong. That was Gino Hernandez and, and Chris. We did the yeah. match uh, in the. Well, you guys were had a major, major run of stars come through this territory. My God, David, you saw it all. We did huge. We it, online, you know, they still, you go online, you see all the stuff on YouTube. I don't know how they get it. Yeah. Somebody was watching the match of the day. I refereed with, uh, it was Chris and Gino against uh, Kevin and Kerry, and we were in. Uh, uh, Will Rogers Coliseum oh, really? for the big one. Yeah. Actually, no, no, we were in uh, Fort Worth Convention Center for the big one, and um, it's where I took a bump and hung my neck in the ropes. Yeah, and, oh, Dory uh, Funk. Yeah, I, so I hung my neck in the ropes, and I'll never forget because I told uh, Chris and Gino as soon as we start, grab headlocks <laughs> so nobody runs in and hits the rope because you know yeah. you've got your head in the ropes locked in there, yeah. and someone hits the ropes, it can it can snap your neck because I mean I remember the first time I saw it, Red Bastine did it. Yeah. And I did. I had never seen the move and, before. And, it was a shoot. I and, thought he was dying. And then Dory did it. Yeah, yeah. Dory could do it good too. Hey, um, so tell the, one of the greatest stories that I tell people. The book. This is, was a <clears throat> an example of how big the Von Erichs were. The deal was that I had to beat Mike Von Erich, who weighed 150 pounds, maybe 160, right, in 10 minutes. 
or I had to wrestle Carrie. So we went to the convention center in Fort Worth, completely sold out, about 10,000 people. Yep. Me against, and I got to beat him in 10 minutes. The kid was over so good, I took a blade. At the end of 10 minutes, I had him have to claw on me. <laughs> they went crazy. They went crazy. I mean, it was like, I mean, he couldn't do anything. He was a really nice kid, but just not physically gifted like the other yeah. boys. It was so over. I mean, I they wanted me to put the figure four on him. And, and I said, not a chance. I took a blade. David Von Herk, the ring, yeah. And David, David goes, what do you do? And I said, entertaining the crowd, man. That it was, it was, it was classic. I had him take me outside, throw me in the post, did zip. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. We came up, well, you know, that was, that, we talked about Kerry throwing the discus. That's how we came up with, matter of fact, Vince used it when he went up to the Texas tornado. Yeah, yeah, right. He would throw the discus punch. Yeah. So he would do the roundhouse like he was throwing the discus and hit him with a punch. And that, yeah. you know, there was one punch. That was it. I've, I've took a lot of those. Yeah. When he could find me. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they were usually a duck. <laughs> Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. David, you mentioned a name we hadn't talked about a lot on the podcast. And Rick, I'm sure you have some fun stories too. Red Bastine. Oh my oh God. Gosh. Phenomenal worker. The bishop. Yeah. <laughs> Phenomenal worker. <laughs> you guys got any good memories? The keeper of the bishop. And then we won't say any more. <laughs> well, I, I can use my imagination. Is it, is it exactly what I expect? <laughs> well, you know, the first time I met him, um, I met him. Uh, he wasn't here in Dallas. I was refereeing in San Antonio. Yeah. And he came in, and he was teamed with Lord Alfred Hayes. Yeah. Another guy that was a phenomenal worker. Yeah. Matter of fact, what was the guy that was a shooter? Um, it was Tony Charles and um, his partner. They were from uh, Australia or somewhere. It was Tony Charles or maybe they were Jeff from. Ford's? No. Oh, gosh. What was their names? All of those guys, Lord Alfred Hayes, they all came through here and uh, uh, phenomenal guys. But when I met Red Bastine, you know, we still do an event every year here in Dallas. Uh, Johnny Mantell puts it together. Mm -hmm. And it's it's based on Red Bastine, Bastine started it. It's where all the guys come back. Yeah. They're still around this area. And we all get together once a year. Yeah. And, the, uh, the irony of the this all coming together in this question is that. The night before I came here for the big stadium show with Kerry, I was in Portland with Roddy Piper. And uh, we'll, 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 why don't we want to say a few words about Roddy before the show and Dusty. But And we were drunk, all, I mean, really, at a place called Red Lion on Jansen Beach. We didn't go to, I had a six o'clock flight. I'm coming to Dallas, right? I already know what I'm doing, right? But it wasn't like, it was hard to do, right? I barely made the flight. Piper and I and Red Bastine. Pipe, I said, Piper, we're putting him to bed because Red could drink. And he always said he could put you to bed, right? Piper and I put him to bed, tucked him in. I went in my room, didn't even change clothes, cutting up playing fruit of Dallas. David picked me up, went to the hotel, changed clothes, flicked the hair back, walked in the building, and the rest is history. But I, most of us fly flight. Wow. Oh, we, got, we got. Have you missed any flights this year? This year? I mean, like. Um, Maybe in Texas? Oh, God, I missed a couple with you in Laredo. <laughs> no, in Houston. Not talking to you anymore about that. That's not funny. Uh, yeah, it was hilarious. I drank myself right through three flights with Conrad one day. I'm oh, celebrating. Bloody Marys, my God. Forget you know, it. You know, when you talk about Dallas, so I look all the way back. When I first got in the business, to look at the stars that came through here. Oh, of course. 
I mean, when I first got in, I, I was like a mark, yeah, you yeah. know, and, and you had Duke Kilmuka, you had Killer Carl Cox, you had um, uh, uh, the Brute came through here yeah. when it, one of his last few Brute shows. Brute, the Sheik yeah. came through. And then here, I mean, uh, Big John Studd, you talked about him. We had the spoiler. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gary, Jar- Gary brought in the spoiler, John Jar- Don Jardine. Yeah. And he brings in uh, uh, Mark Lewin. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes back of all the guys that's come through here. Yeah. That were market rock and roll, yeah, you know, superstars and other people. Tommy Fulton and and uh, Bobby Fulton and yeah. uh, Tommy Rogers came Bobby, through here. Tommy Rogers died. Yeah, he did die in Hawaii. Yep. What did he die of? You know, I don't even know. I I see. He's you know, a young I looked kid. at Facebook I and I saw Facebook. I saw Bobby had posted some stuff, yeah. and I don't really think sad. it was good. I don't. Hmm? I, I think there was a substance. Oh, really? Issue. Wow. I haven't heard. Well, well man, good I'm going to end on a bad note. So let's tell the story about the time you introduced uh, Rick to a pretty straight-laced friend of yours who was celebrating her birthday. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I'm not married. This is great. Rick's coming to town, and we're going to go out. And so um, my well, one of my exes, it's her best friend. One of my exes. You sound like me. It's a whole nice. So he's uh he's coming over and we're all gonna go have a drink and I'm like Rick now listen this is a straight girl I mean she's a nice girl uh, be nice to Debbie don't you know we'll just have a few drinks oh yeah no problem no problem and I, I said it's her birthday oh it's her birthday you know blah blah so anyway a little bit later the doorbell rings are you sure it was me yep my, what, yeah what, it was you my ex says hey Rick's here and I I look as soon as he walks in and I see the trench coat I'm thinking uh oh. And he comes in, and uh, I hear, uh, Rick, this is Debbie. Oh, Debbie, I hear it's your birthday. Hey. He opens up the trench coat. There's a big bow. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> you sure it went early? No, it went early. Well, I've been always trying to make everybody's day have a good day, right? What a birthday oh. present. Oh, <laughs> But, you know, we've had a good time. Rick and I were talking last night, you know. Who has the attached uh, to life, right? Yeah, we have. And, uh, you know, to come back 30 years, and it's really sad. Uh, you know, I look at all the guys that are gone. Oh, my God. You know, now with Dusty and, and, yeah. and Roddy and Vern. Yeah, uh, the, the, I mean, the list goes Dick on and Michael, on. Michael, you know? Buddy Landell. I mean, it's. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. You know? I, last story about the Ultimate Warrior. I'll finish it with this one. When Kerry died, Helwig, Jim Helwig, the Ultimate Warrior. He's going to be a pallbearer. I'm a pallbearer. He's a pallbearer. So we get in the car and we get, get to the gravesite. We got to carry the casket from the um, hearst to the gravesite. Mm-hmm. So Hellwig's across from me. We're on the back of the casket. Mm-hmm. So we get out and we lift the casket. And the casket is heavy as hell. Yeah. So we're walking and, you know, everybody's got a solemn look on their face and this and that. And Hellwig's looking at me. He goes, that son of a bitch. And I looked across, I'm like, what? And he goes, that son of a bitch. I said, what? And he goes, he roided up before he did this. He's heavy as shit. <laughs> I'm thinking, are you kidding me? He's the best. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Conrad Thompson, the nature of Ric Flair, and the legendary David Manning in Dallas. Okay, Dave, who wins the games today? Clemson, Oklahoma, Michigan State, Alabama. It's obviously the three of us are going to the Alabama game. Give I us a pick. I personally like Alabama, and I like, uh, uh, I think it'll be uh, for the championship, 
Alabama's going to be playing um, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. That's your pick? That's my pick. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that comes from a guy that knows how to bet, knows how to gamble. He's reeled in all those bad habits. He's actually, can I announce the fact what you're doing on Monday? Well, but be careful because of the fact that my big picks were Baylor at Mississippi State. It wasn't these two games. So yeah. uh, well, I no, didn't bet no, them, but I told some friends that's uh, who I Of course, yeah, they both won big time. But yeah, what's happening Monday? Yeah. Well, no, uh, tomorrow, rather. Ooh. Yeah. At noon. Why not? Yeah, tomorrow at noon, David is getting married. Yes, I and am. I'm going to be there. So will Conrad. After 10 years of uh, being, started being happy. Uh, having the best fiance in the world. We're, we're going to do it. Well, you know, I have a great one now, too. I, yeah, you, know, man, you know, I'm going to put have so much pressure on me. <laughs> Every time somebody does stupid like something like and get married, it falls back on my lap. I know, I know you said you're going. I'm not going because I'm going to get pressure, too. So just have yeah. to send me the pictures. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it gets really bad. When well, you're too stuff. young yeah. and too rich to take pressure. You know, you know, when they give you pressure, you yank the scholarship, okay? <laughs> that's, that, that's the new plan. Remember what Mongo said? Mongo scholarship Yank the scholarship, right? Uh-huh. They give you pressure. Me, I got a great one, lovely and everything. Oh, you're getting Good. screws put to you. You don't know. Oh, it. after hey, tomorrow, are you kidding? It's I all I heard yesterday. I brought both wallets today. When we get off here, Conrad and I are going to play cards with credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before, before we let you come out. You brought both wallets? Yeah. Uh, so By the way, we're going out tonight to Fishbones, guys, in Dallas. If you want to see us live. Woo! And over to AT&T with my good friend, Chris. And you'll be uh, you'll be participating in a Super Bowl celebration here of in course, Texas. In Abilene, yep. And uh, we got the WrestleMania tailgate WrestleMania coming up. WrestleMania tailgate parties, awesome. Same place, yep. fish bones. Mm-hmm. Talk to us. Big about- announcement in the new year about what you're going to be doing with my company. Everybody's going to want to get involved. Do it. In. Come on. Well, uh, for those out there, I own two companies. One's Extreme Travel. Uh, the other one is, is called Paycation. Our motto is why take a vacation if you can take a paycation. It's it's a network marketing company, which I've been doing ever since I left the business. You know that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been a huge blessing for me. Uh, I've got uh, over 40,000 reps out there around the country. Travel, have fun, save money when they do it. And they make money, make serious money. Well, I need part and, of that. Yeah, well, and that's what we're going to do. Conrad has refused to adopt me. <laughs> well, we're going to get Conrad in, too, because what we're going to do is I've got a nice key spot up at the top. I'm going to bring Rick in as my uh, good friend. We made a goal last night, one year, 100 grand a month, and uh, we're going to get a lot of you guys well, out there to travel around the world. 100 grand a month, I'm getting me a boat. I'll be hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> Ship ashore. I mean, hello, uh, <laughs> come in, come in. <laughs> so we'll be spreading the news about that okay. on one of the podcasts after the first year. Thanks, ma'am. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Mr. Manning, and our special guest, alcohol. And we didn't get in that much trouble today. <laughs> no, we didn't. No, we, we only had three beers apiece. We kept it mostly and let's, let's go over to that bar right now and get serious. We're going to wake up New Year's Eve, okay, guys? Who's- Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for following Wu Nation this year. We've had a great time. I love Conrad like a brother. I love David Mann like a brother. What a great way to shut out the year and look forward to 216. Happy Thanks, New Year. Guys. Thanks, guys. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. I wonder who wakes up and, and doesn't know. for all you women out there. Oh, my God. That miss David Manning and I on the way through. Dare to dream, ladies. <laughs> Just dare to dream what you missed. <laughs> and for those of you in case David and I run to you tonight, don't be afraid to live the legend. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. By now, you know that everything is crazy overseas and well, that's created some volatility in the market. We actually saw rates tick down a little bit this week. We don't know how long it'll stay that way. All the experts are predicting that there is going to be a rate hike this month in the month of March. Some are saying 25 basis points. Others are saying 50. What does that mean? It means waiting will cost you money. And by the way, I want to mention this is still a once in a lifetime opportunity just based on your real estate values. You see, all of a sudden your house is worth considerably more than it was just a couple of years ago. And as a result, you can use that newfound equity to change your life. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners take their 30-year loan and pay it off in half the time. And how can they afford to do that without their payments going sky high? We get rid of all their other debt. And I mean it. As a heads up, what would you do if you had no credit card debt? Just like that, it was all paid off. How much easier would life be if those car payments, whoop, they're out of here. No more car payments. That is the story that we're able to help our friends and family with at SaveWithConrad.com. You see, the interest you pay on your credit cards, not tax deductible, and sky high. The interest you pay on your car loans, buddy, where is that going? What if we could restructure all of your debt, use some of this newfound equity, and at the same time, get you out of debt faster? You see, what we're talking about is reducing the time on your mortgage. Yes, we're going to get you a great rate, but if you're in a 30-year loan, think about what your life looks like 30 years from now. Man, life gets a lot easier when you're completely debt-free, and that's what we want to help you do. And by the way, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And oh, as a heads up, if you've been thinking, hey man, I like my house, but my kitchen's kind of outdated. What if we could get you the cash you need to turn your average kitchen into something your wife loves and it wouldn't change your monthly payment at all. Why wouldn't you do that? You see, you'd be reinvesting back in your own property. That's going to make your house worth even more. And oh yeah, you can do it with cheaper monthly payments at savewithconrad.com. Now I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to go check out our reviews for yourself. See what some of our new family members are saying at conradreviews.com. You'll see there, we've got over a thousand verified reviews. Our average rating is 4.72. And if we were a restaurant with a thousand reviews and a 4.72 rating, I know where you're eating dinner and I know where you need to do your next loan. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? That's SaveWithConrad.com. Have you ever had a question for Ric Flair that you're just dying to ask? Well, on the Ask Nate format, You'll be able to ask him whatever you'd like. Here's a sample. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Woo Nation. I'm the sidekick on the show, Conrad Thompson. The man with the plan, though, is the nature boy, Ric Flair. 
We're running a little behind this week. We didn't get a chance to post an episode last week as Rick was traveling with WWE abroad. He went to Germany and he's back stateside today and we're catching him first thing in the morning. And we're doing something special. We're doing Ask Nate's and I'm asking the first question. Nate, how you feeling this morning? Well, actually, I'm feeling pretty good considering 20 hours in the air yesterday. Um, no, actually, it was a great trip. I always like going with the kids. We uh, took off from Seattle last uh, Tuesday and uh, flew from there to Amsterdam, or from Amsterdam to um, Mannheim, Germany. And then Mannheim to Cologne, Cologne to Ma- Ma- Magdalene, I think I pronounced it, and then uh, into Berlin. So, And then we flew from Berlin to Chicago, and then Chicago to L.A., where I am right now. <laughs> That's a lot of travel. So where's Raw tonight? Raw's in Los Angeles? Uh, Anaheim, yes. Okay, cool. Well, um, let's go ahead and jump right into it. We've had a a lot of great questions. The the Disney World without Space Mountain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we uh, we posted back a week ago now uh, and letting everybody on Twitter go ahead and chime in with their questions for you using the hashtag AskNature. And if you want to go ahead and participate in this next time, just remember to do that on Twitter. Use hashtag AskNature. So let's go ahead and go right to the questions. Brian Lee on Twitter asks, uh, AskNature, who do you think you've bled the most with? Uh, he's, he's talking about uh, color specifically. Do you think that, you know, bleeding is a lost art in the business today, or is it just a thing from the past and you're glad it's gone, or where are you at on that? Well, the person that I bled the most would really either be uh, Wahoo McDaniels or Dusty Rhodes. I would have to say Dusty, probably. We both uh, had no problem doing that. Um, and it's not that it's a lost art. I think it's just a health precaution. And uh, it's obviously safer for the guys not to be doing it. Uh, for an old, old-timer old like me, I mean, I, I miss it. But I think there are occasions for it. But obviously, it's for health reasons and in it. The safety issues that the companies become much more aware of the concussions, the blood, and stuff like that. So it, um, you know, I think with the necessity, uh, I miss that. I miss that. Yes, but that I can't critique. Uh, I can't be critical of the company trying to make it better for the guy. It's safer, you know. Yeah. Sean on Twitter wants to know who was the stiffest opponent in the ring, not counting Brody or Hanson. You've actually said several times that Brody was not with you, but who was the the toughest hand that you worked with? About toughest or the, the, the stiffest, stiffest. Uh, Jumbo Taruta, the Japanese. Uh, yeah. The, the we won a bronze medal in the uh, in the '82 Olympics or '70. I can't remember, but where you you was a bronze medalist in the Olympics for, for the uh, for the Japanese and uh, in um, Greco-Roman. So with all the throws, the suplexes. Sure. He was a, he was a smaller version of Brock. <laughs> That's a good analogy. So. If yeah. you're uh, if you're at your computer right now, go ahead and throw in and look up some jumbo stuff. Hey, Ant on Twitter wants to know what should every man have in his wardrobe. That's a good question to ask you. What should every man have in his wardrobe? A custom-made shirt and some really good cologne. Well, there you go. So I'm curious. Uh, you know, one of the questions that somebody's obviously going to ask when you say that: What cologne do you wear? Dolce Cabane. Okay, there you go. Uh, my son gave that to me for about five years, and I swore I would never change out. So I wear it every day. I used to wear, have like ten different bottles of stuff, but I, I just wear the Dolce now because of him. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's what most guys do. I think they just find one they like and they stick with it. Yeah, uh, in the old days, we all threw so much on after the you know after the matches and run into the bar. 
we carried it in the glove compartment. That's hilarious. I love that little last minute spritz. Yep. Benjamin Bell on Twitter asked, did Rick train in the gym with Rick Rude? Was Rude a beast in the gym? We don't get a lot of questions about Rick Rude. I saw him train. I mean, by beast, you mean strong? Yeah. Uh, not exceptionally. He, he, I tell you what, he was a real good arm wrestler. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But, but but as far as lifting lifting weights, I don't think he was that strong. I mean, what are we comparing to? Dino Bravo or right, right, right. I mean, was, you know, there were some guys who were just so ridiculously strong, like Atlas and Bravo and uh, the Steiners were were both, uh, especially Rick Steiner was really strong in the gym. And then of course, uh, Barbarian was another six hundred pound bench presser. You know, we don't have a lot of guys like that in the business now. The strongest guy in the business right now is uh, Cesaro. Yeah, everybody talks about how strong he is. and He's a powerhouse in the gym. He will not train in a gym that does not have a platform. By platform, I mean, we can drop the weights and all that. You know what I mean? Wow. Now, Benjamin Bell, the same guy who asked the last question, is really asking some really good questions about training, and I know you'll like these. Uh, what year did Rick feel he looked the best, and what did a good day at the gym entail during that time? Um... I think I looked my best in the 86 or 87 and, uh, my workout has always been the same. I did, uh, I hit every body part, uh, hard twice a week. Uh, and then on one day I just did a little bit of on every body part. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then I did 500 free squats or I did, um, 30 minutes on the stairmaster or the uh, revolving staircase. Um, just about every piece of uh, equipment that came along. And then, of course, if I didn't do the cardio, I didn't feel like I'd worked out. So I did that always after the workout because, it, you know, it would, it would deplete my strength. But, um, yeah, just two hours every day regardless. Uh, I found some way to get through it. I don't know how. I look back on it now. <laughs> I hate going to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've told me for a long time, if you don't do it first thing in the morning, it ain't happening. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I did it. I mean, if I, even if I stayed up all night, I I worked out and I felt better ever for doing it. But, you know, that was just something that I was kind of the way I was not raised but brought into the business. But the workout was very important. And I think it, you know, it's paid off for me over the years because, you know, my knees and my elbows and my back, knock on wood, everything's still intact. So I think all the free squats and stuff like that were good for me. Push-ups are great for you too, boy. There was, there was never a day I couldn't do 100 push-ups. Now I'd be lucky if I could do 40. Yeah, that's the difference. Uh, maybe 30. <laughs> Jim on Twitter asks, can you name one thing you've gotten out of Bobby Eaton's infamous bag? That's so inside, even I don't know what he's talking about. I have no idea what that means. All right, we'll go ahead and skip right I can just tell you. I, can, I will just tell you this. Bobby Eaton is a phenomenal, was a phenomenal performer. Yeah, and, and also from right here in Huntsville, Alabama. Cheap plug. Yep. Uh, Stephanie O'Connor on Twitter asks, any stories about Sherry Martell and is her contribution to wrestling underrated? Well, I don't know that it's underrated. I mean, she was one of the first, uh, I think that she was one of the most colorful women in wrestling at that time. Different. And she was a a good performer, different than the girls are now, but I think her contributions as a worker are uh, maybe under, uh, uh, underlooked, but. She was a great manager. I mean, she managed Sean, she managed me, she managed Randy. I mean, I think she, she I can't remember who else, but every, everybody she managed, she was a phenomenal manager. And when she was in there, I mean, she was, 
If a fight started in the bar, she was in the middle of it. <laughs> the queen, she was hilarious. She was a lot of fun and very much missed. There's a, a picture out there of Sherry in one of your robes. What's the story with that? Oh, I don't know. What year was it? <laughs> I don't know. It was the one I liked so much, the black one with the uh, white feathers and silver butterflies. Oh, God. Let me think. <laughs> I probably can't tell it. Oh, we'll move on. She liked to wear, she liked to wear my stuff. I'm going to it like that. Okay, we'll go with that. Uh, J <laughs> Jason on Twitter, I asked a good question we haven't really talked about. What was the atmosphere and response like in the locker room when you returned to the WWE in 2001? Well, the response when I went when I went there, yeah, when you well, went 2001, back, to the... oh, it was always oh, great. I mean, everybody was it was like I'd never left. I mean, you know, so many guys had crossed over and gone back and forth. Uh, you know, at that point in time, that uh, I was I I was felt very comfortable. I mean, I certainly wasn't ready to wrestle. That was the issue. That I wasn't. Our deal was I was never going to wrestle, and then. But three months later, I was in a Royal, I in a Royal Rumble event. So, I mean, it just, I, I wish I had prepared myself a little better for that. But when I took, you take a couple of years off, you just kind of forget about that part of the business. And I, the way we started the thing out where I was a co-owner with him went great. I mean, it was, a, that was a fabulous run we had with that. And uh, Steve, Stone Cold took off and they put me back in the ring. <laughs> so, with no choice, <laughs> no. Um, but no, I, I felt like uh, I felt very comfortable. I had no problems with it. David on Twitter asked a great question that you and I have never talked about, but I think uh, I'm excited to hear your answer here too. What is your view on music being played for a run-in? Does it take you out of the moment uh, and make you realize it's planned? I haven't seen music being played on a run-in. I've seen music played all the time when they interrupt the you know, promo segments, but if they have played music on a run and I haven't seen it, or I guess I just yeah, pay attention. Like when uh, Seth Rollins cashed in at WrestleMania this last year, um, uh -huh. when he ran down, they played his music and he ran to the ring with the case. I, I think that's kind of what he's talking about. And then back in the day though, you know, in the old Crockett yeah. days, there was no music being played. Just all of a sudden he's there and yeah. Well, when he hit the ring, I, mean, I remember the I remember the match when he hit the ring. Were both guys down? Yes. Yeah. Well, then I think I think the music is fine. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and I think and it besides it, it it's, it's good anyway because it's what so many people they like the entrance music as much as they like the match. I mean, it's, if you if you think back to, to how good it was, Shawn Michaels' entrance. But he had a hard time following with a match sometimes. It was that good. Do you remember? Yeah. And it was that stuff he did where he aerialed in uh, from the uh, from the ceiling of a building. I mean, just, and the Undertaker's you know, music. And if Undertaker didn't play his music, there'd be people that'd be mad, including myself. So, yeah, I think I think the, the guys, especially the ones that whose music has been in existence for a long time, it's a huge part of the show. Look when they play Hunter's music the game and all. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just stuff that, uh, it's going to stay with the business forever. Memories. Mine is mine as well. I hope. Oh, absolutely. David on Twitter, uh, asked a question that I think I know the answer to, but, uh, I'm still curious. Who is your favorite wrestler to travel with and why? Oh, my favorite to travel with was Iron by sure. far, but we, 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 it wasn't just Iron and I, it was Iron and I, Tully and, and JJ usually because, uh, 
you know, Barry kind of took off by himself, you know, like driving by himself. He would signal, and he, a lot of times he'd pick up a chick along the way, you know what I mean? Sure. This is before he got married. Um, so most of the four of us, but we just had a good time, and we just, you know, I don't think there was ever a time when it was like, you know, the word familiarity breeds contempt. I don't think it was ever a time that existed in our relationship like that. It's just... You know, we just had fun. We knew how good we were, and we were good at it. And we had, we got in the car, and we and we knew that we had, you know, fulfilled our end agreement, and then the rest of the night was ours. <laughs> MI3 on Twitter asks, are there any guilty pleasures that you have that may be surprising to wrestling fans who don't know you? Any guilty pleasures? Yeah, like, you know, I know you like to watch Married with Children, and I think people would probably be shocked by that, but... Is there anything else you want to share? Just stuff that you enjoy that, that I'm guilty would... about? No, no, it's just an expression, you know, like oh. a guilty pleasure is eating chocolate ice cream or, you know. No, 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 no. I, don't, I don't have any problem like that. Pasta is my weakness, but uh, <laughs> yeah, mar- married, married with children <laughs> still gets me good. What a way to wake up in the morning. That show is the best. Uh, here's a question that we don't really hear about, kind of a throwback. Everybody knows that WWE has catering now, and it's uh, they really roll out the red carpet there, and it's a big production. But Joey on Twitter asked, what did the guys eat for breakfast and lunch back in the day? Because if you're eating on the road, that had to be challenging, and I somehow doubt that Crockett and everybody had the level of catering that WWE does now. No, in the old days, we didn't have that, we didn't have that at all. It's Crockett, we, just, we fed ourselves. You know, and I think it's been pretty, uh, most of us, you know, with the egg whites, that's the egg white thing that's been going on forever. And some guys just didn't care, they ate everything. But I think for those of us, that, well, I was fortunate enough to be around Steamboat a lot. And I, whatever he ate, I'd, I'd, you know, eat, you know, chicken, tuna, egg whites. And of course, you have to remember that I drank a ton of carbs. Right. So, um, I'm not telling you that I was not take. I was not consuming carbs. I just elected to take mine orally. They were the they were the liquid form. Liquid, liquid form. Yeah. <laughs> Sons of blindness on Twitter ask any embarrassing moments happened to you in the ring or any crazy fan stories where maybe somebody jumped in the ring. Nope. Uh, I mean, I've seen that happen a couple of times, but it was always under control. You know, back then the referees loved that. Boy, the Hebmers could get a shot at somebody coming in the ring. They loved it. <laughs> so <laughs> you didn't even have to worry about fighting because the referees get put top of them. And boy, when one guy hits the ring, it's it's a, and they, both of the guys are on our we're, we're both on our feet regardless. We come together real fast <laughs> in a bond. We forget that we're opponents for about three minutes. <laughs> uh, Hitman, on I wonder Twitter. if people have ever realized that. <laughs> No, yeah, I mean, it, it gets united, no, no doubt. When a fan jumps in, you know, baby yeah. face or heel, the, the guy who just jumped in is the new target for sure. Exactly. Uh, Hitman on Twitter asks, can you uh, ask Nate, did he really have to go to Savage's house and have a rehearsal for their WrestleMania 8 match? I had to go to the sportatorium in Florida, and we were, we were three hours a day for five days. You guys worked on that yeah. match for 15 hours? We did. We went three hours for five days a week. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. a match that we need to uh, kind of do what we did for the Royal Rumble with uh, and, and talk about that match. 
uh, at some point. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was, it was the problem was that there was too much tension between Liz and Randy at that time. Right. I, we didn't actually sit in the ring and wrestle and all that. We just talked and walked through things. And then then they, they, half the time they were, you know, figuring out what they were going to do with their personal life. Which I, I just had to be there. But, you know, I can I can find something to do in Tampa. Originally, I thought it was supposed to be terrible, right? But I could find something to do in Tampa, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Nick on Twitter asks, do you think WWE will ever use more managers again after seeing the success you've had with Charlotte and what Heyman has had with Brock? Um, I don't know. I mean, I... I I think managers, uh, you know, I just, I, I think they're a, a, a good, good in the business if they understand their boundaries of, in, and their place. Does that make sense? Yeah. If people look at it closely, I just, I do a few little things, but actually, actually, I mean, I you know, make, I say woo all night long, but actually does basically all the talking. Right. And, and, that's, and that's the way it should be. You know what I mean? I, I don't I don't like that that um, um, Paul talks for for Brock, um, because to me that heat goes on Paul. Does that make sense? And so and so you're just old school in thinking that if the heat's going on Paul, that eventually there's got to be a payoff and somebody's got to beat up Paul. Well, I just think, I think if you look back on the guys that talked a lot, like Bobby Heenan, well, Bobby Heenan had, had a ton of heat, but he got the crap beat out of him, and, and Paul. Uh, I don't think he's passed. I don't think I don't think he's been passed physically to be taking bumps. I mean, uh, and the courts are always worried about being careful with me, and I've passed every physical there is. So, and I can take bumps, but I mean, they don't put that kind of heat on me, and I don't want that kind of heat because it, it distracts from Ashley. Or right. Charlotte. Right. In my three, you know, I, yeah, I, I just feel like the people that are doing all the work in the ring should have all the heat put on them. No, I agree. Uh, what 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 are your what are your thoughts on that, Conrad? No, I mean I I get what you're saying, but I also think that sometimes you've got a great guy uh, who in the ring is just a dominant one of a kind performer like a Brock Lesnar, but maybe he's just not as good as expressing himself verbally. So, uh, to use an old Paul Heyman phrase, you accentuate the positives, hide the negatives, and in his case, if he's just not as strong on the mic as he is in the ring. I think you can, you know, cover that up. And I think you could maybe do that with Cesaro, not to say that Cesaro isn't good on the mic, but if he, if everyone agrees that he's better in the ring than he is on the mic, I think it would be helpful to have him a mouthpiece to accentuate the positives and hide yeah. the negatives. Yeah, I, I would love that role, uh, but I've verbally said that because I don't think they think he is strong on the mic, uh, but he certainly is strong in the ring. Sure. And, uh, I mean, you could make, in, in my opinion, you could make, uh, Cesaro a, a contender that people would believe in right off the bat for Brock Lesnar so within, within one month, you could get him that hot. How cool would that be if that was, I know it's not going to be, but how cool would that be if he was better and that was our WrestleMania match Brock versus Cesaro? Hey, don't be surprised if it's not a summer, uh, summertime match. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, that, that, when that kid comes back, man, I know they're, they're going to re, 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 reassess his, uh, the way they were using him, And if they're going to put him a, a big push on him and, uh, 
you know, he's, he's gotten over with the fans anyway. He's got a huge following. Absolutely. Uh, but if he had someone talking for him, and, and, and I like him in the role of being a bad guy, um, he, he could be huge, I think. MI3 on Twitter is really on a roll with good questions. Is there a question you are tired of being asked? Just one question that fans continue to ask, and now you just kind of cringe. You're so tired of it. You know, when we're in public, the one that always gets me is when people come over and say, Hey, Rick, you remember that time you wrestled Sting? That's, I don't know why, but yeah. I mean, that just cracks me up. What are you supposed to say to that? Remember that time you wrestled Sting? Well, you know, my favorite line when I walk up and say, I'm tired of bothering you, but. Oh, yeah, that's the best. And I, I, before I, before they get the butt out, I say, if you're sorry for bothering me, don't bother me. (laughs) That's my favorite line. Yes, tell your story walking. That's, that's the best. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of bother you, but what do you mean, but what? Just keep going. <laughs> what's uh what's the biggest pop you ever remember receiving? Can you think back and think, man, that was the biggest reaction I ever got? Greenville, South Carolina, for the size of the crowd when I came back. And was that the one in ninety eight when you were back for Nitro? Yeah. Okay. Yep. With the guys in the tuxedos and that. Yep. I mean, I've you know, I've gotten huge reactions. But I mean, the Citrus Bowl was awesome when I retired. But for, for a building that had uh, what maybe eight thousand people in it, that um, that thing in Greenville was pretty cool. Jimmy on Twitter asked a great question: Who picked the two thousand one theme song? You know, the your entrance music that you've had forever, the theme song from Space Odyssey two thousand one. Uh, who the picked American that? Dream. Really? Yep. What's the story on that? How does that come about? Do you remember? I don't know. You know, it's funny because people that that's funny that I don't know that, but I'm relatively sure that that Dusty picked that up for me, and it was along the lines of, uh, you know, the Elvis Presley, sure. Frank, Frank Sinatra deal. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But it it sure did work. I didn't like it at first because it was so calm, but it it really caught on. Now now they're playing it on commercials on TV. I don't know how they get away with it, but they do. Uh, Judd on Twitter asks, if Ted DiBiase had decided to sign with Crockett instead of the WWF in 87, would he have become a horseman? I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, he, he was ready made horse. He was a horseman on, uh, he was a horseman on, on his own. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Miles on Twitter asks a question. I know you're not really good at making lists. You don't really like that, but. Uh, he asked, what are the nature boys top five favorite promos? Do you have just one or two? If you can't make five, that's fine. But do you have a couple that stick out and think, Hey, that's I sent you that one the other day. Yeah. So guys listening, everybody, uh, Rick sent me something I've never seen and we'll, I'll post it on my Twitter. It's a link of JJ bringing out a doll that <laughs> he's calling Americans. <laughs> a mannequin dressed in lingerie and he starts moving the mannequin's hair around and kissing the mannequin and it's it's the craziest thing i've ever seen especially hey, look, that, that, was, that was supposed to be precious what year would that have been 86 87? Jimmy Garvin's, uh, that was jimmy garvin's um valet that is phenomenal i'm jimmy and i just said i was going to show him how i made love to crockett <laughs> almost fired me who sent you that huh who sent you that 
I David, but my son David has all that stuff on me, but I I turned that around to everybody. <laughs> a lot of people hadn't seen that, apparently. No, I hadn't I, seen it ever. If I can pop you, I can <laughs> <laughs> So what did Crockett say when you did it? You didn't run it past him, and you said, go get a go get a mannequin. No, I just did it on my own. You, I, you, you know, that because it was kind of like, uh, can you imagine if he did that to me? I don't know what's wrong with that. But, like, Vince would go crazy if we did that on our show here. You know what I mean? I mean, not, not, not um, the way the companies went now. Right. Back when they were, when he was doing all the stuff with Tory and all that. Sure. A different time frame. But that that was along the lines of what they were doing. You know, I just was a dipper. And then I, I think I, I didn't J.J. hand me her song underwear. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was it was pretty risque for the time, for sure. It was awesome. <laughs> I'll link it on I'll link it on Twitter too. So when you're listening to this, uh, Brandon on Twitter wants to know uh, who do you think was the better overall big man, Andre or Taker? Taker, I I think to be honest with you, I think that uh, in in ring performer, Big Show Big Show is better than uh, than Andre. Wow, Randy on Twitter asks. I know your favorite is Crown Royal, Conrad, but what is Nature's preferred drink? I'm guessing vodka. Well, Nature likes vodka, but Nature tries to stay under red wine. Yeah, and here's a little fun fact for you. Uh, Rick drinks red wine in a unique way. He wants it on ice, and that's not something you see very often, but he just likes cold drinks. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's like we, we have a formula. It's two bottles of red wine and one bottle of a Crown Reserve. There you or, go. Three bottles of red wine, which we've done that one time with Austin, and two bottles of Crown Reserve that you drank the bar out of. That's true. We so, did uh, we did float the bar that night. <laughs> he was drink. He was drinking tequila <laughs> and margaritas. Absolutely, there was a wide variety of drinks that day. There really was. I mean, we we were holding court there. It was a good time. Uh, Judd on Twitter says, if Starcade 89 could have been rebooked, would you have saved Funk and Flair I Quit for the title as the main event? Starcade 89. What was the main event for Starcade 89? You know, I should know that, but I don't right off the top of my head. It feels like when, um, when Crockett bought it, it started to, I mean, when Crockett sold, Starcade kind of yeah. started to become not nearly the big event that it was before. Yeah. Uh, let's see. That was the Future Shock show. Uh, so the main event was Sting defeating you uh, in the main event. Uh, I guess it was like non-title. There was like a tournament, if I remember right. And so like Luger wrestled Muda, Sting wrestled Muda, you wrestled Muda. Oh, the Iron Man thing. Yeah, yeah. It was like multiple matches. Yeah. Uh, and you guys they, were all on a stage won. at the beginning of the show. Yeah. And yeah. then Sting won yeah. in the end. But. So the the concept is, do you think it would have been better, you know, coming off that really hot feud that you had with Ricky uh, with uh, Ricky Steamboat, and then you guys did the Clash of the Champions with Funk? Should you have maybe strung that out and then had a had the year kind of culminate with you and Funk? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we I didn't anticipate that being. You know, it's funny. I would Terry and I have had much better matches than that, but that. What gets a lot of attention? Does that make sense? What do you think your better match was? Is it something that would be readily available that people could go look up? Or are you saying just on house shows and stuff? No, I'm just saying on house shows. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we didn't wrestle. Uh, um, I didn't get to wrestle them for the world title, uh, but one time I think, and I probably wasn't. Uh, 
as you know, as prepared as I probably thought I was, but um, um, or probably I probably was not as good at that time as I thought I was, and uh, but I mean Terry Funk was a tremendous performer. He, I mean, he still is, but he, later on, you know, he added a little comedy like I did. You know, as your skills decline, you throw something in that'll keep him entertained. <laughs> um, but um, he's a phenomenal performer. I mean, I mean that that turned out to be a great match, and I. I'm not sure why people are like it that much, but you know, I think it's just the fact that we work so hard together. He let me pound it. He lets me chop the crap out of him, man. And people are going to see that's got to hurt. It does, but he, <laughs> he said crazy. Terry's crazy. You, well, we had him on the show. You know, he is. Oh, he's phenomenal. And, but you know, yeah. like the nicest man you've ever met. And it's just hard to imagine that. You know, his, his, his most famous, most famous piece of work towards the end of his run was the super yeah. hardcore stuff that you just yeah. wouldn't imagine. Well, he had, he's put his body through hell too, and he's still out there running around doing stuff. So yeah, he just wrestled baller, uh, at, towards the end of the year last year in Memphis as like their final stand, which is crazy to think that, you know, those guys 30 something years later are still getting after it. Yeah, no, I know. Well, Jerry, uh, Jerry works all the time now, Phil. Even I asked him about the heart thing, and it appeared out with just a one, a one-time deal, and he's fine. So, but he stays busy, and he likes it. Andrew on Twitter wants to know. Uh, I think you've answered this before, but why did Mister Flair always wear his knee pads so low? Because my calves are so skinny. <laughs> Hide my calves. <laughs> Cincinnati Southpaw has a great question you're going to love. What kind of wrestler would Pete Rose have been with his hustle and lavish lifestyle? Well, for sure he would have been a horseman. Pete, I think Pete right now is a horseman. <laughs> I see Pete all the time. As a matter of fact, um, I was doing a signing with Pete this coming Saturday. That just got postponed for two weeks. And actually, I'm glad because I was going to have to fly back out to Vegas and then fly back to Cleveland for uh, uh, Pat Lane. So on a red eye, so it, the fact that it got canceled, it, it, it's not upsetting me at all. <laughs> uh, Larry on Twitter uh, asks, "How about a good behind-the-scenes Vince story? You've got, a, you have to have some fun Vince stories." Well, it's nothing. That, usually, if something goes on behind the scenes, he's he, he's pissed off. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I've got a thousand of those just to, to, <laughs> to tear me up. Are you kidding me? Give us one. <laughs> 80s heels don't draw. God damn it. Stop that. Who taught you to slam off the top rope? I mean, he would scream at me. <laughs> he said, you go get go get your agent and get it. Take that, take that tape and go look at your match and then come back and tell me what was wrong with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Hey, so uh, I don't know that we've talked about this on the show before, but there was a... Uh... A Saturday's night main event, Saturday night main event with you and Macho, I think. And then you guys had to like go back out and recreate the finish or something. What was the story on that? Oh, was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It was terrible. We had to have the whole match over again. So what happens? You guys have the match. You come back through the curtain and what does Vince say? No, he came out and said, stop the match. <laughs> stop the match, went back and he didn't like the way it was going. And, uh, geez, it was terrible. Uh, and they had, uh, Scott Hall hit the ring and, uh, something just wasn't timed out. Right. All I know is it wasn't my fault. 
I think yeah. it's where they put the title back on me. Okay, cool. Man, lots of questions here about promos. Let's ask this one. The most painful thing you've experienced in the ring. So not out of the ring, but in the ring. What was your worst injury or most painful thing in the ring? Like he gives examples like thumbtacks, but I wouldn't imagine he'd put that on the list. It'd be an injury, right? Yeah, no, thumbtacks don't hurt. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I have to think about that, but I'm, you know, it's funny. A lot of times when you, when you get hurt in a ring, you, you don't feel it till after you get back to the locker room. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you cool off a little bit. I guess, uh, you know, once I, I was doing a spot with, I was in Dallas wrestling sting and, um, we did a spot where I thought he was going to leave frog me and he dropped down and I thought I broke my leg in half. Wow. I mean, it hurt that bad, but it, you know, two days later I was fine, but you couldn't have told me that. I thought, holy cow, I just broke my leg in half. It's just one of those things that accident, but that, that stands out in my mind. I had stood out in my mind for a long time because we're running wide open and I thought he was going to drop, drop or leapfrog when he dropped down and hit me right at the knees. So, but I, I, a couple of days later, I was fine. Scott Rucker on Twitter asks, I'd like to hear about Rick's relationship with the eccentric promoter, Jim Barnett. Surely he has a fun story or two. My boy. <laughs> you know, he loved me. So my relationship with Jim was great. I mean, I never took advantage of him. I, uh, he liked me and he knew that I worked hard. And when uh, somebody wanted a favor from me, they would go to Jim by favor, be like, add on some days as if I didn't have enough. Right. Right. So he would like tell me, uh, cause Carlos Colon, when we were so hot in Puerto Rico, I'd end up having like three days off for Christmas. And he'd call me and say, my boy, I just got a call from Carlos Colon. He said he needs a nature boy for three Kings day, which is Christmas. Important <laughs> San Juan. That's hilarious. Yeah. But I mean, he treated me great and he, you know, handled all my payoffs. And, um, I, I hate it when they removed him from that position. He was, a, he was great. He was the, you know, the coordinator of the, of the, of the champion schedule and everything. So yeah, it, it, the whole thing fell apart when Bob Geigel became the, uh, Head of the NBA, the whole thing fell to hell and a handbag, whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, Michael Cole on a different Michael Cole on Twitter asks, in honor of Black History Month, who were some of your favorite African American opponents? Just as far as in ring work, I'm sure is what he means. Uh, Ron Simmons, Ernie Ladd. Um, I really like working with the big cat. Um, Ron, of course, I worked with Ron a lot. Um, oh, uh, Butch Reed. Kind of love working with Butch Reed. Uh, wrestled him a lot of all of Broadway. Um, Tiger Conway back in the old days, we just kind of learned, learned, we were learning the ropes together back in the 70s. Um, who am I missing here? I can't remember. I Pretty much anybody that, oh, I wrestled Bull Bull Brazil uh, back in the 70s. Um, of course, Rufus R. Jones. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, I drew a lot of money with all those guys. Uh, especially the big cat, big cat was over in Butch Reed and of course Ron, Ron and I, we were very close to the state. Unfortunately, he's a, he's a product of Florida state. And I, I have to remind him of that this year. I had to remind him several times. 
Hey, so let me ask you, we never really talked about this in length before, but when he won the world title and became the first, you know, black American world heavyweight champion in wrestling, that happened at a time when you weren't there. It was August of 92, and it was kind of uh, a weird deal where Sting was supposed to wrestle Vader, uh, Jake Roberts injured Sting. It was, you know, did an angle. And Bill Watts held a raffle to determine the number one contender. Simmons wins the raffle and then beats Vader and wins the title. Were you keeping up with that even though you were up north? And was that something that you would have, you know, kind of been in the loop on? Or were you shocked to hear that that was the way they were going? Um, you know, I, I was not in the loop, obviously. And then the, the internet wasn't like it is today, obviously. Right. Um, but I would never have been shocked to see Ron put that position. Um, uh, and when, with Bill Watts running at Okoa, we left out the key guy. Yeah. With Bill Watts running at the company at that point in time and his biggest star in his own company of all time was the junkyard dog. So I can see where Ron Simmons did it. And Ron was 10 times the performer the junkyard dog was. I mean, Ron could really work. Yeah, that's, you know, obviously. Uh, and, 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 and he's legit. You know, Bill Watts was, was really big on being legit, and Ron's legit. You know, four-time All-American, which how many guys are like that? I mean. Why, why do you think Ron never got another run on top after that when he's got the universal respect, the legitimate background, all of his peers, you know, seem to, I mean, you never hear anybody say anything bad about Ron Simmons. Why do you think he never got another run on top like that? That I have no idea. I really don't. I just think that, uh, I think when, uh, Eric and Hulk came along, they just had their own plan or agenda. Right. They pretty much just brought, brought the whole, you know, the whole, uh, Hulk entourage into the company. Sure. That makes sense. Boss man, Tenta, Ed Lathley, yeah. everybody came yeah. down. Yeah. Uh, Michael Cole asked another question that I don't know that we've talked that much about, uh, your thoughts on WWE raw and debuting the show in 1993. So that would have been something that, uh, hadn't happened for a while, live wrestling on a weeknight on a major cable station like USA. Uh -huh. And now raw's, you know, making its debut. You're there. Is that something that you thought, Hey, they're onto something big here, or was this just business as usual from your perspective? You know, I thought they were on to something big. I wrestled Santana on that first show. And then I wrestled Kurt on the second one. And then I was gone. Right. In the loser league town. <laughs> so we've talked about that. that. That's, that's the infamous Ole Anderson story where he said to me, what good do you to me after doing the job for Kurt Henning on national TV last night? <laughs> there, There's actually a drinking game on the podcast now amongst the listeners that every time you mention that Ole Anderson story, they have to take a drink. <laughs> what's that now there's a drinking game for listeners of the <laughs> podcast now whenever you tell that ole anderson story they have to take a drink so uh, that, oh, the, the story about the story about what, what good what, are you now yeah 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 what what, what are you worth to the company yeah, i know too much huh so let's talk about that because i know that you know we're gonna get some follow-up i know you've mentioned it before but uh kind of behind the scenes you had an understanding that when you first went to work for Vince, he said, I'll always use you as a, as a main eventer. And if I don't, I'll give you a heads up and an opportunity to go do something somewhere else. So yep. he's coming to you now. And I guess maybe late 92 or very early 93. And, and how does he, how does he lay that out to you? What does that look like? 
he just told me that he was going to go with the young guys uh, and that, uh, you know, he gave me an opportunity that the, you know, I know Watts could have been calling me every day. And he said, uh, if you want to go, just, you know, uh, I need you a favor for me, which I did. And uh, I went, I was gone. And, uh, you know, I didn't realize that I was, um, I mean, I, I had so much fun there. I liked being there, but at the same time, I didn't want to be in a reduced role either. And ultimately, um, you know, then, then along came Brett was predominantly good then, and then along came Sean and, you know, the whole thing. But, um, and I, you know, I, I guess going back, it, it's just part of my legacy. I mean, I went back and, you know, went through all the crap. Um, but I don't even think about that anymore. I'm so happy. But in, in the thing of it is, if I hadn't come back in 2001, I probably would have, uh, my legacy could, could have been completely different than it is right now. So let me ask a question, you know, talking about, you know, what could have been, you, you jog my memory on something I saw recently, uh, that I hadn't thought about since we had Cornette on the show, but you were talking to Cornette in 98, uh, when you were kind of on the outs with WCW, I think it was around the time they were having a pay-per-view called Unforgiven and they were having it in like Greensboro. And so there was yeah. talk that maybe you would come in. So did they ever talk about if they brought you back and Ric Flair came back to the WWF in 1998, what you would have been programmed to do? Because at the time, you know, DX is going on there in the attitude area. They're doing crazy over the top stuff. Where would you have fit in? Was that ever discussed at length with you? Well, here's Jim? the deal. Because here's what happened. Um, I was under contract, but you know, Bishop fired me. Right. I've been home, right? So Cornette called me and said, look, Reed, Reed had just won the AAU Nationals. That's what the I got fired for. Reed won that tournament, the, the AAU Nationals in Detroit. So they wanted me to bring Reed and sit in the front row at, at the Coliseum, which was sold out, which would have been huge, right? I was dying to do it. And they were going to start talking about the fact that they had a, uh, a, a champion in the front row that they were, they were going to interview later in the show. And then if they come over and interview Reed, that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, it would have been huge. And I wanted to go, but you know, at the same time, I wanted to go, I wanted to be with Iron and all those guys. And I missed them a lot. Um, and I don't know what I would have done up there. I mean, um, I, I'm, you know, I know there's a short period of what I mean. We had this little short run together, Iron and I, and the guys again, and then they, of course, they screwed that up again, but. You know, it's all part. I look back at it now. It's all part of my legacy, and uh, but that would have been fun to have that thing with Reed. They were going to tease it, you know, oh, about now. Huge, and then have Ross walk over to him and start interviewing him. <laughs> In Greensboro, they would have they would have gotten a, a good reaction out of that. Matt on Twitter asks, "Who was the best individual worker between the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express?" Who was the best worker of the four guys? Yeah, I guess you could say five if you included Condry and Lane. But between Robert Gibson, Ricky Morton, Dennis Condry, Bobby Eaton, Stan Lane. Ricky Morton. That's what I think everybody's going to say. Ricky Morton and then Bobby Eaton. And uh, for those who don't know, the talk online is that you actually trained Stan Lane in the business. Is that accurate? I did. I did. How did that come about? Do you remember where you met him or how that all was put together? Well, I'll tell you exactly. I was uh, at the beach uh, with a girl, um, who I was just starting to date just once in a while. And, uh, I ordered bloody Mary's and all that for the morning. 
the guy comes up, bringing a tray of Bloody Mary into the room, and the Lord, the Lord goes, oh, hey, man, Rick Flair. I go, yeah, he goes, my name's Stan Laney, but he was working at the Hilton Hotel in the, uh, uh, in the catering <laughs> at the Hilton in Myrtle Beach. And then I, I trained him in my garage. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, he was a 500 pre-squad guy. He did it all. Jason on Twitter asks, when Double uh, A and Tully went to the WWF, did Nate consider going with them? No, I couldn't. But I was. I, we, had, we had a tremendous party the night before where I acted up and I said to Aaron, please don't mention anything about this in my acting up and misbehaving. And of course, the first thing they told Vince when they walked in the door, she had seen Blair last night. <laughs> yeah, here's some Blanchard Bullock. I said, please don't mention any of this. You know, this is like our. Because <laughs> they went on a they went on a, on a QT meeting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody nobody knew they went for the day. So. Greg Bass on Twitter asked, "The first Clash of the Champions match with Sting and Ric Flair was the match that got me hooked on wrestling. What was yours?" What was my match that got me hooked on wrestling? Yeah. I assume it was Ray Stevens. Ray Stevens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I liked it anyway, but I mean, Ray Stevens just took it to another level for me personally. But I mean, if you think about the guys I broke in with, I mean, here I am. I'm in Minneapolis. Dusty Rhodes, Dick Murdoch, Jimmy Snooker, Don Morocco, Larry Henning, Nick Bockwinkle, Ray Stevens, Crusher, Bruiser. Jack Lanza, Jack Mulligan. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have a chance. <laughs> uh, Pink Elephant on uh, Twitter asks any any truth to the rumors on Buddy Landell being the NWA champion? Being the NWA champion, like 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 there was a big talk of him getting a, a push, or was that just Buddy that, talking? No, that was just Buddy talking. I'm sure God rest his soul. But that was. I never heard that. Uh, Matt on Twitter asks, Dusty Rhodes had, was a three-time champion, but they're all short reigns. Is there any reason why? Um, I don't know why. Um, In my head, Rick, it seems like back then, kind of the formula for drawing was you had like a heel champion, and in your case, maybe a chicken shit heel champion, and the babyface chase is what was drawing fans and interest. And if the babyface was the champion, maybe that's not as appealing long-term. Um, I just think that they switched it uh, on short. You know, they did the same thing with Tommy Rich one time, remember, for a week. And I think they did it once in a while just to give the fans hope that these guys would have a chance. Um, in Dusty's case, I think that uh, I don't that he was so valuable to Florida championship wrestling. I don't think Eddie wanted him to be gone for a long period of time. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, because he had it once when he won it from Harley once and then dropped it back to Harley. Then he beat Harley again and he dropped it to me. They're both short term. So I don't, I never thought of, I never thought of it, but I think in this, in Dusty's case, he was so valuable in terms of the booking and, you know, being able to make the promotion better that the, uh, that they probably without telling him that, that, Hey, we need you here. Right. The man and Eddie had the stroke to make the calls to the other, uh, to the other, the other, uh, uh, members of the board of directors. Fran on Twitter asked a fun question that uh, I mean, you've talked about before. Did Rick actually have a beef with Carlito Carlito for him being lazy when he cut that promo in 2007? No, I love that kid. 
if you haven't seen that promo, you should go Google it right now. Uh, it's Carlito and Ric Flair backstage uh, during a raw show. And Carlito was leaving the building early with his quote unquote girlfriend, Tori Wilson runs into Rick and Rick cuts maybe his best promo in years at that point. Yeah. Well, I would, I had just had a big fight with Vince and I can't remember what it was about, but it was huge. And, um, yeah, so I just had a huge argument with Vince. I really can't remember what it was about, but I think it was, you know, you know, was I going to get a match at WrestleMania or something? But, um, and I was walking down the hall and Bruce Pritchard grabbed me and said, Hey, we need you to, to grab, uh, Carlito. Can, can, you know, just out of other, I mean, it took place in like three minutes, right? Right. That Carlito's walking down the hall, he's leaving the building. They're shooting at a little angle where he's been lazy or something like that. Just, he just tear him up. Well, I was supposed to wrestle, um, Mr. Anderson in the WrestleMania. Right. And then they, that promo was so good. I guess I can't remember the next day they booked me and me and Carlito for WrestleMania and they eventually, you know, scrapped the match. So I don't know. I can't remember what, but it's that good, huh? Oh, it was very good, man. I mean, if you haven't seen it, you owe it to yourself to go check it out. He had a couple of, in my opinion, I'm talking about like, you're not here. Your, your promo in ring where you made yourself bleed in 05 with triple H, uh, and then chased him around backstage and you're just gushing blood and slapping it all over your white shirt. That was the best one, uh, that I saw in that run, uh, until that Carlito one backstage, which at the time didn't seem like a big deal, but man, it became a big deal after that one. It was phenomenal. Yeah. I don't remember. I just, uh. Yeah, I, I think back to the, the one that the one where I handcuffed myself to the rope in my underwear. Oh yeah, nitro. But when I can when I can entertain Bobby Heat, Bobby Heenan, I know I'm doing something good. <laughs> That's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, it's hilarious. Yeah, uh, <laughs> when I could when I, when I could impress Bobby, I, I knew I was doing good. Carl Johnson on Twitter uh, has a question that we haven't ever talked about, as far as I know. I would love to know Rick's thoughts on CM Punk, especially with the uh, Slammy segment with the two of them and Paul Heyman. So we can talk about the Slammy thing, but we've not really talked about your thoughts on CM Punk, the performer, his move to the UFC, any of that stuff. Um, let me think. Um, well, first of all, I've never, I've never worked with him. Right. So and I, I mean, he, he, you know, I, I, my, Here's the deal. I've always gotten along with him. And you judge people about how they treat you. He never, ever, I never had any problems with him. I never worked with him. Uh, and I thought he was a good performer. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd call him great, but I thought he was good. I think you guys did like a big, like, eight or ten-man tag once, maybe. But nothing that was like just you two really getting after it. It wasn't really that type of match as far as I remember. Yeah, I don't think so. He, he um... Uh, yeah, I mean, I and I watched him on TV and all that, and I and I thought I don't I don't know what the problems were. I just know that he left here with you know a lot, lot of controversy, and that you know it, it seemed to affect uh, AJ's run here too. So I don't I, I don't really know. There's so many sides to these stories. I just know that you know Hunter is you know arguably my best friend alongside with you, and I can't see Hunter doing anything to hurt anybody. And I know Dr. Amen. I can't see Dr. Amen doing anything to, to put in someone in a position to get hurt. So, right. You know, that's all I can say. I mean, Hunter certainly wouldn't do anything to screw him up. What, 
what that's under game by screwing anybody, right? Right. I don't think he has to worry about going anywhere, and he's clearly the uh, he's clearly a better performer uh, when he does wrestle. So, and Doctor Amon, I can't would never uh, just dismiss an injury. He would. That's not the way it works here. It, it worth mentioning too, Rick, because you you were going to get some comments when you said, you know, why would Hunter want to hurt anybody? You know what we're talking about there specifically is at the end of the day, you know. Sure, wrestlers perform because they enjoy it, but at the end of the day, they're doing it for the same reason you go to work. They're doing it for a check. They're doing it to get paid. I mean, this is the way yeah. they feed their family. And if you've got a guaranteed contract for millions of dollars, uh, winning and losing matches isn't nearly as important as did the check get to the mailbox on time. Uh, and I'm not trying to n take the fun and the fandom out of wrestling, but when I think when you're saying he wouldn't do anything to hurt someone, you mean to say, Hey, he's going to honor the contract that they have. And you know, he's not, but we're talking about winning or losing matches is the way people are going to hear what you just said there. And I don't, I don't think that's really what you meant. Oh, no, 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 no. I wasn't. Well, well what was that to dispute? Well, no, what just some, you know, sometimes people online say, Oh, Hunter likes to bury people and oh, he just squashes everybody. And, and, and I, and I, and I say bullshit to that. He don't bury anybody. Why? He doesn't have to. It makes no sense that anybody would think, think it out. Okay. I mean, it's like, you know, it's well, <laughs> when, when he was a performer, perhaps because now everybody's jockeying for the same position, but now that he's yeah. part owner of the damn company, it's yeah. different. Like at my job, I employ people. I don't want one to do poorly and one to do well. I want everybody to do as good as they can, because that's better for the overall company. Yeah. He's in a different position now. Um, you know, of course, we all, when we're, we're working, we're all trying to be the best. But, you know, if you are the best, it's, 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 all you got to do is go out in the ring and be the best. That right. Absolutely. So you can hold back your talent if you're in the ring. You know, if someone said, well, I'm not going to give you a chance to get in the ring, then they're holding you back. They're letting you get in the ring. You can, you know, very simply distinguish yourself from, from your opponent or anybody else around that's got a problem with you being in that position. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, and no, I know I just I didn't I don't even know what the beef was about, but it wasn't about um you know winning or I it was about winning or losing. I didn't know that was the, the question. I just thought that there was thought it was more about him uh, being injured and them making him work. Does that make sense? That's what I had heard. Well, that that know. is part of it, and part of it, you know, I think was you know he really wanted a main event of WrestleMania, and there's nothing wrong with having goals in wrestling and aspirations yeah. in wrestling, but. I think he felt like he had been passed over where, you know, he was not pushed as the marquee guy and was not in the main event and was, and was looked over. But even though it's like a cliche now, because it's been used on television a lot, Vince tries to put together WrestleManias that are best for business. And he's proven to do that. Even when sometimes the guys are difficult to do business with, like going way back in time, Roddy Piper or ultimate warrior or whoever those guys. And at times, Shawn Michaels was very difficult to deal with. But he did that because he thought, hey, this is the this is what's best for business. This will generate the most interest, the most revenue. He's going to consistently try to put out cards that do that, not just necessarily cater to some individual's aspirations or goals. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm most definitely. I mean, it, it, he's all about making money. I mean, if, if I'm going to look at the big picture of Vince McMahon, the thing that I have struggled with for years is he forgives everybody. Right. <laughs> I mean, and 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 that the hence the thing 
is it, um, you know, what's good for business, okay? You know, I, I would have I would have had a very difficult time forgiving the people that were trying to close down the doors of, of, the, of the WWE, but he he just went and he rolled along with it and just said what's best for business. So, um, but a lot of people wouldn't take that attitude. You, I don't think you'd have that if somebody opened up across the street from First Family Mortgage and tried to shut you down. But I mean, you guys probably wouldn't be at the uh, Rose's Cantina having a beer. <laughs> That's a fair statement. John Owens on Twitter wants to know, and we got a lot of questions about this since it's kind of the topic of the week. With Daniel Bryan retiring, does Rick believe that his career is Hall of Fame worthy? Daniel Bryan. Um, hmm. Well, I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yes, and I, I don't know enough about his career. I can tell you this, that the guys up here that did work with him loved him. Once again, I have never been in the ring with him. You know, I, uh, and I, I watched him work a lot. Um, but the guys up here, his peers that did work with him, they think the world of him. So I don't, I'm going to have to say yes, he's a Hall of Fame guy. I don't know that you know this, uh, Rick. But your friend um, Dave Meltzer puts out, you know, his end of the year awards every year, and for years uh -huh. it was just like the most outstanding wrestler, and then eventually it became the Ric Flair Award because you won it so many times. Uh, Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan, however you know him, has held it. Uh, he, he is number two on the all-time list behind you as far as winning it the most times. So, oh, he, wow. so even though it may not have been in times when he was made of ending WrestleManias, he was carrying Ring of Honor and other promotions and having consistent five-star matches everywhere he went. So, uh, the respect in the smart community and the wrestling journalists and amongst his peers, I would think would make him a shoe in, uh, maybe he didn't have the longevity that some of the other guys did, but when he was there, he was, there was no one better. Oh yeah. I mean, he made a huge impact here. Yeah. I, I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about whether he deserved to be in or not. I was, Giving people's, you know, give sure insight, my insight, because usually I can't tell tell you exactly how good a guy is if I haven't been in the ring with him. If but he, the fact that everybody here loved working with him and he, uh, you know, left on such a high note, and uh, the reception or the, the departure of the show last week was fabulous with him. I mean, it, you know, you could tell the fans cared. You could tell he cared. So. And that means a lot of me, that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sentimental about stuff like that. And, uh, he, he got a tremendous reaction. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him and I'm happy for Bree. They seem like a real nice couple. And I think they're going to have a nice life together. Three quick questions. Then we'll wrap this one up. Uh, Jason on Twitter asked a great one. What NXT wrestler are you most interested in seeing on the main roster? You know, I can't answer that question because I haven't watched NXT, but if just off the top of my head, it would be Bailey. Yeah, I think a lot of people are, are ready for Bailey to be on the main yep. roster. And I, I think a lot of people, too, are curious how that will translate to the main roster because she had such a kind of a cult following there. And somebody on Twitter, and I don't have the handle in front of me, asked a question that I kind of skipped over because I thought everybody would know your answer, but it's worth asking. Uh, do you prefer working in front of a smart crowd or not so much? Well, that's that you can't get away from it now. <laughs> but I'm just saying if, if you could, if you could get in your rewind machine and you could go back and wrestle and 
you know, 1976, or you could wrestle, you know, at the NXT arena today, what would you pick? 19, uh, 1976. Okay. And, and, and anybody that knew that era, because you, you, it was, you was almost, you were almost putting your life on the line in some arenas. <laughs> the people were, the people got that pissed off. I mean, and that excited, you know what I mean? I told you about the guy throwing the rattlesnake in the ring. And, oh yeah. I mean, I've seen some crazy stuff and people jumping in the ring every night I mean, for a week straight. I mean, I, but it, that was exciting to us. You know what I mean, we we thought in the, that the board cave babe meant everything. You know what I mean? Now it's, it doesn't seem to hurt the people in terms of coming out, but you know, you just try, you just try as hard to make, you know, your segment the best you can be. And then, you know, and, I mean, I have a thousand ideas, but it's only stuff that I could do. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody's got their weak strengths and weaknesses. I know how to make people mad. But in Vincent's eyes, nobody can, nobody will ever get mad at me because I'm a good guy now. Make sense, right? I'm never going to win that argument. <laughs> uh, bad. What? E Sinatra on Twitter asks. Uh, he he wants to know about kind of what the real story was when Paul Heyman was fired from WCW in the early '90s. There's lots of speculation and lots of talk online, but nobody can ever really pinpoint exactly what went down. From your memory, what was the situation there? I have no, you know, I, 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 I very, very, I very rarely think back about stuff like that. I don't remember why I, did. I see him all the time now, you know, and I, I mean, it's, it's not because he's not smart. I don't know. Maybe he got in an argument with, uh, who, who was booking it. I don't know. Now, you know, I'm not sure either, but I know that, you know, there was talk that he was fired, uh, and there's rumors, you know, one way or another. And then I know there was a lawsuit after. And so there's lots of speculation about what that was about, but now nobody's really talking. So it's just who, kind of one of those. Who, who was the lawsuit? Uh, Paul Heyman sued WCW and received a settlement from what I can gather. Oh, he did. Oh, I, I, I didn't even know that. Uh, I J didn't even know that. Jason on Twitter wants to know if you'd like to see the WWE incorporate some of the old Crockett ideas like the Crockett Cup and War Games. I think they've kind of done the Crockett Cup and NXT, and they're doing doing it as a tribute to Dusty. But why do you think Vince never did War Games? Just because he just didn't want to do someone else's idea? or uh, Very much that, that, that would be my total response to that. He didn't like the guilt copy people's stuff. I mean, you can say something that's relatively do things that are relatively close and they're being to be compared, but he would never use uh, somebody else's name on, on his product. So that, that would be my take on it. You know what I mean? Rick, my, my best question is my last question. Nobody tweeted it, but I'm going to ask it and I don't want us to get in trouble, get you in trouble here. But, uh, what's your take on the Titus O'Neill suspension situation? You know, I'm going to find out all about that today. I don't know anything about it. I just heard about it. It happened while we were in the, in Germany or in the air. It happened. Uh, no, no, it happened after. I'm sorry. It happened. When he showed up Tuesday to SmackDown, but you weren't even at SmackDown. You were on a flight. You were leaving. Yeah, but it happened uh, after the uh, celebration for Daniel. Yeah, Bryant, on Raw. That sequence. And I all I've heard is that. You know, he playfully grabbed in, but I don't know. I didn't see it, and I have no idea. I'll I'll find out today. 
you know, because I've been people have been talking about it all week long. It just um, there's got to be more to it than than I know because I kind of can't see him anybody suspending him. It will, it will be just done to be playful. I don't know, and he's not. He's a very harmless type guy. He's not going to go out of his way to, to you know, in, or to hurt anybody. Sure. In, to my knowledge, and I, I like Titus, so. But I'll find out today. There's probably something more to it than I know, so. Well, Rick, I appreciate you joining me for uh, Ask Nate. Take care, man. I love you, buddy. Thanks, man. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean, right now, and just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance, if you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance, super easy. Goliath life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes, and you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price. You start the online application immediately and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle, hell, not even a phone call. Goliath life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. Have you ever wanted to hear Ric Flair look back on one of his most infamous matches? Well, we're going to do that too. And as a sampling Here is Rick and Conrad calling the 1992 Royal Rumble match. We've got the British Bulldog in the ring with the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Rick, go ahead. Uh, You know, I've never really seen this back either. I've I've certainly seen clips of it, but, uh, you know, the thing that makes it different than a lot of the other Rumbles is anybody that was anybody ever in the WWE. Actually, someone told me the other day, there are 11 guys from this match in the Hall of Fame. Um, which I had never even thought about that, but, uh, 
They're sure are. Uh, Deviasi, of course, in the Hall of Fame and one of the great performers of all time. Davy Boy, who left us way too early, uh, I thought was a tremendous performer as well. So here we are. And uh, the theme, you know, when somebody comes in every minute, um, I think I came in third um, and is typical of my usual performance. All I did was feed guys all night long. <laughs> I don't have enough offense for an hour, but I can, I, I can certainly take the bumps. So, so uh, do you think this is maybe uh, your second, or I mean, one of your top two most talked about WWF matches? I mean, it's got to be this, and then the the WrestleMania match with Sean, right, as your two most talked about. Um, you know, I think so. I mean, I, at the time, I didn't realize, you know, exactly what all it meant. I mean, I was to me, it was just another day at work, but I was with a whole bunch of different people, people that I knew, uh, of course. From well, over the years, I've known Ted forever and wrestled Ted not only in the NWA, but wrestled him up there uh, for the WWE, WWE at that time. Um, but and Ted and I remain very close to this day. Um, tremendous performer. And, of course, Davey Boy, uh, I think that um, by not too far from saying it's one of the best matches I ever saw in my life was Davey Boy against uh, Brett in uh, London at SummerSlam. SummerSlam, yeah, yeah later this funny. year. And I go, DVS just said to me, I'll meet you in the bar after the match. <laughs> See, I just look back. I'm going, okay. <laughs> At this point, DVS had been pretty hot for the pre for the previous handful of years in the WWF, too. Yeah, well, I he think, had my yeah. gimmick. He had a million-dollar man. They should have given that gimmick to me. Boy, I, th I, still I think threw enough money around. I wish someone give me some of theirs to throw around. <laughs> yeah, that, that that should have been your gimmick, the million dollar man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey, so uh, I think that's your best robe ever. Where'd that robe wind up? That robe is uh, in Darius Rucker's um, basement, that's hanging in a, in a glass case. I'm jealous of Darius. Yeah, he bought that in 1999. Mr. Perfect with you here. Yeah. How long had the, uh, or what was the plan for pairing Perfect with you, just to eventually lead to a feud, or at this point, had he to catch in his Lloyds of London? No, and he was in right there in that modes of Lloyds of London mode, and he'd been doing commentary and stuff, but he, um, here we go again, see? <laughs> My usual. <laughs> um, yeah, there but uh, what happened was Bobby refused to manage me, and so they, they, they talked Kurt into it. Kurt had no problem. <laughs> Kurt and I got along very well. But what do you think the thinking was there that people may cheer you and they knew that he was already an established heel and that way they could make sure that you were positioned as a heel? You know, to be honest with you, I think at that point in time, I think they thought that, that I would get a rub from Kurt because he'd been on their TV for a long time. And I had been down, you know, with Turner and uh, uh, WCW and, you know, uh, the network, we didn't get nearly the saturation network-wise um, because the, the cable wasn't that concentrated out on the West Coast. So, I, I mean, I, I think it, they put us together because we were a good team together. Right. But, but I also think that um, if they hoped Kurt would give me a little rub and a little notoriety. Yeah. Uh-oh, here comes one of your favorites. <laughs> the nasty boys. <laughs> Jimmy Hart. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, Albany, New York, Knickerbocker Arena at the time. What, uh, you got any good hanging out with uh, Jerry Sack stories? We hear you talk about Brian Knobs all the time, but. No, they're one in the same. <laughs> one in the same. Actually, actually, Jerry's a little bit more in control, um, but uh, a great guy, um, you know, a lot of fun. He's got beautiful family. Um one of his daughters played Division One sport at Notre Dame, and uh, he's got grandkids now and everything. It's hard to believe. Wow. Grandpa oh, Nasty punch. Boy. What a punch. And there goes the woo. I'm, I'm right now just catching my breath because I know Sags isn't going to jump on me. Well, <laughs> 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 I can't remember who's coming out next. It is kind of fun watching us back. So you haven't seen that since it happened? I, I'm sure I've seen parts of it, but I've never watched the entire thing, no. So, um, the British Bulldog is obviously prominently featured in this match. Mm -hmm. Had you worked with him in another territory never. at this point? No, okay. first time. We, of course, have met, but I'd never worked with him. I'm just trying to talk some reason into him now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he actually was a really good performer. Yeah, I, I don't think that um, history remembers him as much as I do, anyway, yeah. as a kid. Uh-oh, here comes the baddest man alive. Make no mistake about that. The toughest wrestler in the history of our business, now and probably forever. And at this point, would this have been the first time you would have worked with him, too? No, I'd worked with him in Puerto Rico in the 80s. Really? Oh, yeah, I'd go in uh, Tonga forever and in Japan because he was, uh, you know, he was in a dojo uh, for Baba at the age of 14. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, and you watch me. I'm not fighting back with him either. <laughs> if, I am, if I am, he's like, he's not, he's not buying it. <laughs> That's hilarious. When I'm backing up from him, it's real. <laughs> 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 You have no idea. He's not. You want to have him over to your house, but you don't want to bring anybody over because he's a cannibal. He'll eat all your neighbors. That's hilarious. Eat your neighbors. Yeah, Arn calls him the human vegematic. <laughs> See, he could he could really perform though, because a lot of guys couldn't do that uh, jumping pile driver like that. That was a fantastic pile. Yeah, driver. he he and uh, Orndorff were a couple of guys that could do it that well. Where he knew you were safe. You know what I mean. So, hey, let me ask you, uh, we've talked about it on the show before, but not everybody's probably listened to every episode. You found out, you know, it's not a spoiler, it's 26 years ago, uh, or 24 years ago. You found out you were winning this earlier that same day, right? Not not till I got to the building. Somebody told me, Jake Roberts told me at that gym in the morning, I thought he was just kidding me. You know, I thought, how would Jake Roberts know? I mean, I not, right. no, no offense to Jake, I just thought, how would he know? Right. And then I got to the building, and they told me I would—I had no idea. Do you think this was uh, probably um, Pat Patterson's greatest creation? It, it was his idea. Yeah. Yeah. Here, look oh, at this. Here. here comes the man, John Michael, yep. on his way to the ring. Yep. You know, you just look at who's already been in the ring so far. Yeah. You Ted DiBiase, Haku, British Bulldog, mm -hmm. a nasty boy, and now, yeah, Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. 
But did you know? When did you know that Sean was going to be the man? Did you know at this? Oh, point I could tell. I went to the right there. I knew him. And make no mistake, that kid can work, boy. I'm, I'm, I mean, he was fabulous back then. Boom. Um, and just you know, great physician, great, great uh, psychology of just a phenomenal. See, unlike uh, very similar to my style, he he was a guy that could take big bumps from guys, and uh, you know. If you look at this, the, the Bulldogs getting the feet of a lifetime right here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, and a wonderful guy. And, guys, the friendship and the relationship and the fun we had over the years uh, wrestling each other was just, you know, fabulous. This was in, this is when he was still one of the Rockers. I think he had just he had just broken up with the Rockers. Oh, had he? Okay. Yeah, he had just turned heel, and I think he had Jerry with him at this point. And uh, he was trying to do his own thing. So let me ask you, you know, I know that um, this match has to be laid out a lot differently than um, a regular match, of course, just because of the, the concept. But is, do the guys know, like, when they're going out, like, this person's going to put you out about this long, or is that even discussed? Oh, yeah, of course. It has to be because of the time frame. Yeah. That's really a lot. Yeah, but I don't together. I don't remember that lasting so long that, you know, where you sat there for three hours doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that they, they relied a lot more on uh, the guy's ability than they do now in terms of, you know, framing the match and finding the time and the place and what you were going to do. And, you know, like you can say, uh, basically all I do, which is something I was good at, is just feed the guys coming in, and it's... It works. <laughs> Tito Santana, you got any Tito memories? We haven't talked about him much on the show. Uh, no, I just uh, really like Tito a lot. I wrestled him. He's from Texas, Mission, Texas. Hell of an athlete. Um, I haven't seen him in a while, but a great guy, a good person in the ring. He was in Charlotte for a while. Um, and then, I, of course, he'd been up there. He had a great run up there. And I believe now he's... Uh, teaching school and coaching at a oh, well. up in New York. So um, would he have went straight from Crockett up there? Or yeah. did he go somewhere yeah. else? He, yeah, he came with, he was with Crockett and us and Steamboat, and then he went right up there. So the, you, you've talked about before, you didn't think you were a big draw in New York. I love the low blow. Uh, you didn't know that you were a big draw in New York. Would this have been... Uh, a good sized crowd here, or, or would they have had? I mean, were these fans as familiar with who you were? Since at this point you'd only been in the WWF, what six months? Less than that, three months. Less than that, three months. I, I only they know who I was. I didn't mean that. I, I New York knew who I was. It wasn't that. I just don't think that I was. You know, unless you're not on their TV at this time. Remember this? This was before Raw. This was just when right. they were making syndicated TV, uh, NBC with Dick Ebersol and all that. So, I just hadn't had that kind of exposure. But I, yeah, they fan the fans knew who I was, and, it, and this building was completely sold out. Eighteen thousand people. Barbarian, barbarian, here he yeah. comes. Barbarian is still actually working a lot of indies. Does he I know in the Carolina because I see him on a lot of cards there. Yeah, he lives in Charlotte. Yep. Okay. Sandy works for U.S. Air. Um, you know, great guy. Look at look at what a powerhouse. 
There wasn't oh. a day in a week he couldn't bench press 500 pounds. Phenomenally strong. Uh, going back and, and looking at these old matches, is this something where um, you kind of remember what you were thinking at the time, or is it just so automatic at this point in your career that there's really no thought given? You just know what to do and where to be. Um, I'd have to say at this point in time, it's just so automatic. Yeah. You know, the thing that you, we're not quite at that point yet in the match. The important thing about these kind of matches in terms of safety and position yourself is knowing where the, everybody else is in the ring mm-hmm. because it's really easy. Not, not, not at this point, there's only like five of us there, but it's very easy to, um, to get lost uh, in, when there's 20 people in the ring and, you know, go flying into somebody that can either cause you to be injured or the uh, the other guy doesn't see it coming, you know? Yeah, I've, I've heard guys um, talk about battle royals, and, and essentially that's what this is, just a slightly different twist. Uh-huh. And, and they have a different, I mean, I guess there's two schools of thought. There's the school of thought of, Hey, it's like a night off. No big deal. I love them. And the other thought is, I hate them. They're a cluster. I wish I was just in a regular match. Mm-hmm. Which one of those would you land on, do you think? Well, you know, in this particular case, I'd have to say it was far from a cluster because there was guys that knew what they were doing. I've been in some with a lot of people that had no clue what they were doing. So right. this particular event was great. Um. And, of course, here comes one of my uh, foes for years. Um, yeah. And, as a matter of fact, I dropped the title to uh, to Kerry. So this kid was a physical specimen, boy. Hey, he looks phenomenal here. Yeah. He's about to give me the discus punch. Boop. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Time to do the Gordon. Yeah. He had a lot of fire, boy. <laughs> look at this good looking Sean just took one. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. Don't I, we've uh we've talked about it before. I mean I, I know we you and I have, but maybe not on the show. Your your flop, you know, walking out a couple of feet and just planting. Where did that come about? You know, I don't know. I just came up with it one day. I'd watched Johnny Valentine just fall flat from a standing place from a standing position. Right. So I just thought it add a little more entertainment to it. And as my skills declined, I got more entertaining with it <laughs> as I got older. Well, it was hilarious every time. It was awesome. Isn't it fucking, I mean, excuse me, isn't it amazing that some people say to me, well, I hate it when you didn't do the flop in the match. <laughs> it's like that was the, the marquee move. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really is. You begging off, nutshotting people, flopping, chopping the uh you know running up to the top rope and never making it i mean people people want to see the routine man yeah that's what it was <laughs> uh, i mean look who's in the ring right now I, I see why people really like this match i mean british bulldog sean michaels tito rick carrie and the barbarian mm-hmm. this is all i mean all of those guys are big time draws in their own right oh the repo man okay very Dar- so I know you love Barry, and I know that Barry is a very good performer, but coming from Crockett, you've got to think this Repo Man character is the dumbest shit ever. Um, you know, I wasn't sure, but I was glad to dip, that Barry had a good job, and he, he made it work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you know, if after this, he went to demolition um, with Bill Eady, which was, I think, fairly successful. I mean, they, they, those guys had a real good run. This is actually right after demolition. Demolition had just finished up. Oh, is that what it is? Well, see, that's yeah. why I need you on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> and I've already told everyone you're one of the most knowledgeable people in wrestling. I was there, and was and I, I don't remember the I don't remember the components sometimes. <laughs> What's yeah, funny he, is to see Barry Garza sneaking around at 325. <laughs> Repo man. Yeah, Jim Cornette made a great point once about the uh, the sneak and like the crouch. He's like, that's the way every Japanese heel worked. Yeah, in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Exactly. I never really thought about that. Mitsuhiro Kenji Shibuya. Yeah. I used to smack Kerry. He liked to get hit. It's it's uh it's a shame you two didn't get a chance to uh work together in the WWF for the title. That would have been really cool. Yeah. Well, just a lot of personal issues with him at that point in his life, you know, so Right. Um but it's amazing that, you know, at this point, um, I'm not sure whether he's lost his foot or not, but I think he has. Yeah, he has. And, and he's still getting around like there's like there's absolutely nothing wrong with him. Yeah, he's not feeling it. Which just as a credit to his athletic ability. Here comes the hammer. Uh-oh. Everybody, everybody's about to get potato right now. Boom. <laughs> Darso the first. Boom. <laughs> and here he comes after me and Sean. Boom. Boom. <laughs> here we go. I know you were uh, tight with his dad. What was your relationship like with Greg? Oh, we were real tight. Yeah, we were real tight. <laughs> we were partnered for three years. <laughs> Boy, they are they're really enjoying chopping right clear. Yeah, they are. <laughs> There's that forearm. <laughs> So, how many Rumbles have you been in? I know you were in this one. Do you remember how many others you were in? I know. Oh you gosh, were I must have five. been in. Uh, I've probably been in five or six. I think, right? You know, I should know that, but uh, I don't know. I know that your first one when you were back with the company is the one where you wrestled Vince in Atlanta, and you did the uh, the picture gimmick with the kids ringside, which was awesome. With uh, Megan and, and uh, Reed. Reed. Yeah, uh, but uh, that I actually wasn't in the Rumble that night. I just went that that right. match with Vince. Yeah. So I I know I was in one because I was was I was in that program with Hunter in Miami that was real good. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I was never in for any any length of time. So when you find out you're getting the um, you're getting the win here and you're going to be the champ, uh, who comes and conveys that to you? Does does Vince come and have a little one on one and say we're going with Vin, you, or does Vin, some... Vince and Pat? Cool. I mean, I had no idea. I, I, it just caught me so off guard. I didn't even know what to say. Comes Nikolai. Mm-hmm. He was was he mostly a Northeast guy, or did you had you worked with him before? I had never worked with him. I've always gotten along with him well, but he was only he he was never NWA. Right. He was down in Tampa for a while. I take that back. He actually started out in Florida before he went up there, but the majority of his career was up there. Yeah, he's on the downswing here. Yeah. Uh, you know, pr probably coming in from the WWF and. 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but he used to come to the manias and that. He'd it's come... those Comic Cons, or not Comic Cons, but the, uh, you know, the fan fest type thing. Oh, does he? North yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know for sure if he was or not. So, hey, uh, there's not really a good spot for me to interject this, but the talk is AJ Styles is signing with the WWE, and uh, there's a big debate about uh, how they will debut him. Um, Two-part question, I guess. One, would you debut him in the Royal Rumble, or would you wait and do it separately if you had the book? Um, gosh, if I, would, if I had the book, I would debut him on something huge and would, would be the Rumble. I mean, what, you're not going to get a better audience. Uh, the, the Orlando has been sold out for two months, right, or three months. Um, holds eighteen thousand people, and I think the buzz for the Rumble is huge. And I mean, yeah, uh, AJ is a great kid. I like him very much. I'm if if it if it's true, he's coming. I'm happy for him. I haven't heard that it's true, but I've, I mean, I've heard the same speculation you have. But if he is, he'll be a nice addition. Well, it's true. Uh, his last appearance is for Ring of Honor um, this weekend in Duluth, uh, over near Neck of the Woods. He's doing a uh, autograph signing. Big Boss Man's in. Yeah, there's the Big Boss Man, Ray Trailer. Yeah, and Ray Trailer is a guy who Vince really did a good job with because yep. he left you guys um, Valentine's out. He left you guys and uh, came up here, and then they almost right away programmed him and made events on house show loops with uh, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, so. and guess what? They drew huge. They drew huge. I, that was one of the best. You can ask Hulk, one of the biggest drawing uh, feuds in the in the history of Hogan's uh, title runs. Look at look at Barry sneaking up on me, three hundred pounds, <laughs> and he's gone. <laughs> It's to see when that character kills me. I've seen that guy sitting in the inner tube and drink 55 beers. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'd have been proud of me last night. I haven't naked much in the new year, and I naked with a capital N last night. Well, you know, somehow I got that impression when you called me this morning and said you weren't going to make it into the studio. <laughs> I think you tried to blame your friend, <laughs> but... I know when you're niching. <laughs> I, I was like, and if I have to hear that woman's voice on your voicemail one more time, I'm going to vomit. I'm going to leave you voicemail when I oh, see you tomorrow. I love that. Hey, this Pull is the Nature Boy Ric Flair, Conrad's private assistant. <laughs> He'll call you when he feels like it. Till then, tell your story walking. <laughs> I love that. So you just eliminated uh, British Bulldog and uh, the Texas Tornado. Kerry Von Erich. So now we're uh, getting down to the nitty gritty, so to speak. We're down to just five: Tito, Sean, Big Boss Man, Barbarian, and actually there went Sean and Tito. So we're down to just three. Another entrant coming out, and there it is: Hercules. Yeah, gosh, another guy that I knew forever. Herc, from what I hear, was hilarious. Do you have any good Hercules stories? Uh. Ah, uh, not really. I mean, I socialized with him, but he was just, you know, he was a pretty quiet guy. You know, a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, health issues later in life that, uh, you know, you just hate to have heard that anybody has. Um, but um, a good guy. Good guy. He was in the Kansas City Territory for Harley. 
He was with us in the NWA. Well, oh, another one. Didn't know Barbara had that in him. <laughs> I, I loved uh, the way you teased a high five. He gave it to you, and then as soon as he turns around, you chop him. That was awesome. <laughs> you have no idea how strong Barbarian is. Jeez, it's, it's amazing. There you go. Kirk yeah. put him out. Yeah. See, those are the kind of things that look, that look, I thought looked real good in that match. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah. Now, Bossman looked like he was out, but he's back in. Flair's begging off again for the 14th time. Some of the, uh, the classic. Lots of people, um, you know, who were in the business say that Ray Trailer was one of the best big men of all time. And he was. move around like nobody's yep. business. Yep. Oh, wow, look at that kick. Yeah. No, really agile. Very limber for a big guy. Oh, he almost took his head off going over the top there. Mm -hmm. He could really perform at a high level. So now, Rick, you're all out of yourself. This is another Gordon just to keep the fans entertained. Absolutely. Got to. <laughs> Guys, when I see my hair like that, it makes me want to kill myself for letting her talk me into cutting it. <laughs> <laughs> just starting to grow back there. Oh, look oh, at this. Look at this. this is fabulous right here. Uh, oh, this is good stuff, yeah. right? Piper on the way to the ring. And look at the fans, man. Yeah. They are ready for this. Piper was in good shape there. Yeah. Big backdrop. Big knee lift. Boy, you're filling your ass off right there, boy. <laughs> on the floor why not the hot ride uh the best <laughs> well i tell you with him it was just so much fun we would probably we're right <laughs> you know it sells me right <laughs> excuse me sting oh, <laughs> oh wait till he starts giving me the left and right that's awesome <laughs> One of the all-time greats, guys, and what what a tragedy this year! <laughs> he stole my gimmick. Oh my god! Giving me the fingers and the eyes, <laughs> like he's big enough to give anybody a clothesline. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> now he's gonna give me the airplane spin. <laughs> I said, "What are you doing?" Because he, like me, hadn't been to bed for three days. <laughs> <laughs> Had so much fun with that guy. Mm. You know, and, and the, the irony of Wendy and I getting to do wife swap with him last or two years ago um, with he and Kitty, you know, and having that week with them in private time and, you know, and then the, the, the horrible, you know, happening this past year. Um. What a great guy. And what a huge, huge star in our business. Yeah, you can hear your love and uh, and your love for him and your voice when you talk about him. Right yeah, there. what can I say? Great guy. Another WWE staple, great, Jake the Snake. Great talent. <laughs> Look at Jake. <laughs> this was great by Jake. I love this. Because that makes sense. Like, if two guys are beating each other up, why interfere? Just let them do it. 
Have you seen uh, Jake's new movie, The Resurrection of I, Jake? The I have not. I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it. Is I it watched good? it, and it's very good. Yes, sir. Is it really good? It's really good. It, uh, is Scott it, Hall in that, too? Scott Hall is in there, and, man, the transformation in Scott is maybe even more amazing than in Jake. I mean, to see the before and after of those guys is really incredible. DDP did a fantastic job helping those two fellows. Well, good. You know, I've heard about it. I, even Steve Austin put it over, so I figured that'd be pretty good. Yeah, I've got it. Next time you're yeah. at the Conradison, we'll check it out. Uh, Jake just had a hip replacement. Yeah, Jake had um, some surgeries, and, and I think yeah. Scott did too, both in the yeah. last couple of years. Yeah. Well, you know, Scott's got a heart ailment, which I wasn't aware of. Yeah, he's on a pacemaker. Yeah, I didn't know that. I love the idea behind you putting in a figure four in a damn battle royal right here. Anything to get a pop. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because you can legally hold the ropes and nobody yeah. can stop you. I mean, why not? It's great. <laughs> Look, we're all just teeing off on each other. I love that. That's what's good. That's what's great about the Rumble. Yeah. Yeah, you look at these people. Look at there's everybody everybody in that ring right now is a Hall of Fame guy. Here comes another Hall of Fame guy. The Axel man. Duggan. What was Duggan like to work with? Oh, uh, well, you know something? He was really over, so it was easy. But I mean I wrestled Jim but you know, God only knows two or three hundred times. Um, he's not Ricky Steamboat, but he was over, right? But when I was with uh in, when I worked with him in the Mid-South, I had to wrestle him for an hour. That was a long night. Yeah. So many times you can go, whoa. <laughs> 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 so, but he, uh, but real, real good guy, you know, the hell of an athlete. You know, he played for the Falcons, captain of SMU. Um, he was actually a captain of the team that uh, Craig James and Eric Dickerson were on. So, Is he the only thing of note to come from Glen Falls? Uh, well, his dad was the chief of police. Look, look, look at Roddy. <laughs> Teeing off on him. Yeah, you, what you said a minute ago is right. Everybody in the ring right now is a Hall of Famer. Yep. Yeah, someone made a statement to me yesterday, you know, when I, or two days ago when I was telling them about your concept for the show this week, and uh, they said there's 11 Hall of Fame guys in that ring, in, the, in this thing. So there's four right there. John was five. DiBiase was six. Bossman is is it is Bossman in the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. Yeah, um, and I, I think he will be. I just don't think yeah. he is yet because they only put him out right passed away. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh. He was gonna let Jim punch himself out there. <laughs> Rope it up. Oh, uh -oh. oh, look at there. IRS. What a great story that's become with all the wrestling in that family, and, and it's still going on now. Yeah, how about that guy right there being a two time All American in, in two different sports at, the, at Syracuse University? Uh, isn't that amazing? Football that and amazing. wrestling. Yep. And he played at Syracuse when they had some players. And I mean, I don't, I don't know how that program 
went from Jimmy Brown to where it's at now. You know what I mean? Like, look at the guys, John Mackey, Floyd Little, Ernie Davis. I mean, geez. Have you talked to him about whether or not he encouraged uh, Bray and Bo to go into the uh, business or not? Oh, I talked to him about it all the time. I, he didn't have to encourage him. They were dying to get into it. And, and both of them have real good amateur backgrounds, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Bray actually played uh, ball here in Alabama at Troy. At Troy, yep. He sure did. I just did the Gordon again to catch my breath. I don't think a lot of people, a lot of fans, understand how uh, big of a deal uh, IRS is these present days for WWE and what all he does as an agent for them. Oh, he's fabulous. I mean, all those guys have an incredible incredibly difficult job that requires so much time, um, you know, in their private life as well, because it's a not a job number never ends, but he's, you know, Mike's been there for a long time and he deserves it. Uh, I mean, and both those boys are phenomenal. Now his daughter is going to become an announcer. Hopefully she's at NXT right now and hopefully she'll, she'll make it, but, uh, she's a beautiful girl. And, uh, you know, he's married to Blackjack Mulligan's daughter. How cool is that? That's very I cool. I mean, I've been I've known I've known this whole family for so long. Here comes Jimbo. <laughs> yeah, I've wrestled him a thousand times. And that would have first been in Crockett back, right? <laughs> uh, no, first in Minneapolis. Yeah, wow, he, okay. he was in Minneapolis with me. He and Morocco started about two years ahead of me. At this point, would you have ever imagined that he would have been back with the WWF considering what all had happened? Well, I, you know, here's the deal. Once again, I need your time frame and your help on this. Had that thing happened with the girl already? Yeah, it had. Okay, I didn't know. <clears throat> so um, if I did, I don't remember. Um, so what, did he get fired for a brief period of time after that? Yeah, I mean, he, he got ran off a couple of times from what I remember. I know Pritchard told us a story about how they had to go rescue him from some desert country uh, with machine guns in the middle of the night, like a, a uh, SEAL Team 6 type rescue. Yeah. He'd gotten jammed up over there. So I know he had several incidents uh, that oh, yeah. well, incident well, heartache, well, but he always came back. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy was fearless, man. Jimmy was fearless. He had... Uh... You know, most of those island guys are. Um, but make no no <laughs> Look at Rodney. I love that. He's trying to throw my nose out. <laughs> um, no, but Jimmy could work. I mean, when he was when he was up, uh, when he was on, on uh, Jimmy Snooker could really perform. It's <laughs> a random question, but as Jake's trying to get you out, I can see it. I've had a couple of dudes on Twitter, and this never even crossed my mind. But they want to know what what's what was the knot on your back? Did you ever get that looked at, or what was that? Well, it the knot's been removed at this point. That's just scar tissue still there. That's a result of the airplane crash. Oh, okay. Yeah, I started landing on my left hand side, and I got that calcification. They thought I had cancer. When they opened me up, the guy when the guy says to me, "If I find out it's cancer, I just have to take your shoulder off." And I said. Uh, you know, I don't think that's going to work. If it's something down there that's more than what I, you know, we find out it is, you can wake me up. We'll discuss that thing about taking my shoulder off. That's kind of the way I went into surgery. That was back in 1979 because when I started back working 
after I'd had the broken back, I just, I couldn't get myself to land flat. So I just let started landing and right up to the time I retired, yeah, I was uh, landing on my left shoulder. There he is, the big man. Probably the most famous, uh, either here's Stone Cold, most famous components in the history of the company. So the kind of backstory to this angle is at Survivor Series 1991, the Undertaker beat Hulk Hogan with a tombstone. Blair slid the chair in underneath. Mm -hmm. uh, Undertaker's the champion. They do the rematch at Tuesday night in Texas. Hogan wins it back. The president, uh, quote-unquote, uh, Jack Turney then holds the belt up and says that the new champion will be crowned at the Royal Rumble. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that as soon as the Undertaker gets in, he goes after Snuka, takes him out, and then goes right to you, which seemingly would have been his ally. <laughs> Look at Roddy. Um, yeah, but the, the, the theme of this is that there are no allies. Sure. And that's what makes it cool. But funny about look at him. <laughs> he didn't sell nothing right. for me. He, you know, we're all trying to beat him up. He's got us all. <laughs> now, you had first worked with him as uh, Main Mark in the NWA. Is that right? Yeah, just one time, though. I don't remember. He was uh, in a tag team thing with, um, here comes Five. Mach, man. Another Hall of Famer. We yeah. grounded him. <laughs> Couldn't let Mach get going. Look who's in the ring right now. I mean, Jake just out, but mm -hmm. are these back in? Hacksaw, mm -hmm. Piper, Flair, uh, Macho, Undertaker, IRF. Yeah. That's a big time crew right there. Yeah. Yeah, Takers, you know, the Takers will be in the Hall of Fame whenever he decides he wants to retire. So if these guys were to go drinking after the Rumble tonight, what would the bar tab be? This particular crew right here? Oh, yeah. my gosh. Is Roddy still in there? Roddy's in there. Moss is in there. Oh, Timothy. Roddy. Baker, uh, Jake, Rick. Uh, well, here, the, here would be the components of the bar tab. Taker, me, Piper, um, Taker, me, and Piper. You know, uh, Randy would come around. I don't think Randy would throw five bucks on top of the, on top of the check, but... <laughs> That's hilarious. That's <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jake could have uh, put away some back in this day. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I didn't drink with Jake that much. He wasn't known for that as much. You know, I mean, he liked other stuff, which is probably documented in his movie. Sure. Um, but Piper could, you know, he was, and uh, and Taker, if there was a bottle of Jack Daniels to be found anywhere. It was gone. <laughs> I've never gotten that gargling the jack. I've never gotten that. Oh, I don't understand that. Oh, and don't forget that Kurt Henning is there, right? The king of gargling jack. So I'm sure we did something big that night. <laughs> Look at Roddy. <laughs> Looks like I'm in a ring with Inga Mario Hansen. <laughs> And Roddy has not slid down in this match. I know, wild. I know. For a guy that hadn't been in bed probably in a month, he's doing pretty damn good. <laughs> Man, how great was The Undertaker at this character right away? Oh, unbelievable. Knows where the camera is, rolling his, head back, rolling his eyes back in his head. Yeah. He's one of a kind. Hearing Pritchard tell that story about how it worked out for him is just amazing.
I mean, and to see it to this day, I mean, unbelievable. Greatest entrance in the history of the business. Oh, sure. So at this point, um, would it be safe to say that the referees around the ring are kind of keeping up with who's supposed to be doing what? Or are they really just there for kayfabe purposes about, oh, it's Pete Tut? <clears throat> oh, I just got to take her to sell a little bit. Not a whole lot. <laughs> um, out of berserker, John Nord. Oh my God! You know, we, well, you know the story about when we were in SummerSlam over in Europe. I mentioned that earlier. We bought David Boy and Brett in that great match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Nord and the Hawk of the Road Warriors, Mike Hagstrand, they just joined up a motorcycle gang and never came back for a month. <laughs> That's hilarious. That they never came back in order from Minneapolis. <laughs> was sell- Next time I saw him, he was selling cars. <laughs> he, just, they, he and Hawk just got with his motorcycle guys after SummerSlam and didn't make the plane home and didn't come back for a month. <laughs> wow. So they're obviously, with the boot and uh, the beard and all that with the Berserker, they're really trying to mimic Brody, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but it was hard. There's, there's only one Brody. Yeah, I mean, uh, John was a big, strong guy and all that, but Brody was a different kind of cat. What do you think uh, Vince would have done with Brody had he actually come up? I don't know because I don't know they would have gotten along very well. Um, right. You know, Frank did his own thing, and uh, he was so focused on, uh, you know, where he made his big money in Japan. He, when he, those guys were making, I tell people these stories, and I think they think I'm making it up, but Brody and Hanson were making, when it first started, like 12000 a week. And I heard at the end they were making close to eighteen or twenty. You can ask Johnny Ace, you know, for 45 weeks a year. <laughs> think about it. I'm Or for uh, 35 weeks a year. Think about that. That's a lot of money. Oh, it's an incredible amount of money. Yeah, but they were they 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 sold out when those guys were tag team partners against uh, Jumbo and uh, Aruda and Baba. I mean, they sold out every night, everywhere. Virgil's in the ring. Virgil has become a little bit of a social media sensation now. I think he's got the same handlers as the Iron Sheik, so he's trying to be a little uh, over the top X rated comedy. Do you really? have any fun memories of going to the Olive Garden with Virgil? Actually not. <laughs> no, he, he, you know, he was another guy. He he was with Ted, but he didn't, he didn't come out much at night. He wasn't a yeah. big social guy. So at this point, Rick, um, after the rumble, would you have went home or would there have been shows the next day, which would have been a Monday, I, I believe. But I mean, there wouldn't have been house shows on a Monday, right? The next day, let me think. The night before the Rumble, I, I wrestled Hogan in Boston. So Monday, you know, I, I wish I could tell you. I, I want to say we went to Montreal or something after this. I, I can't tell you for sure. I'll, I, I'll ask somebody this weekend just because I'm curious. But, um, you know, you have to remember that the guys forget we were working every day back then. Right. Yeah, I mean, we had wrestling Mondays, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, twice on Saturday, twice on Sunday. 
You know, WWE didn't do that as much as as NWA did, but for a while they figured out they could do that, you know. Is that twice on Saturday and twice on Sunday made it a long week. Yeah, I just looked it up, and it would have been on a Sunday, so the next day would have been Monday the 20th. It's pretty cool that we're doing this this week, too, because this is this week is the 24-year anniversary. It actually happened on January 19th, and uh, we're actually taping this on the 22nd. So uh, we're really, really close. Next year will be the 25th anniversary of this match. Time flies, doesn't it, man? Yeah, and I, I apologize to the fans right now for us doing this so late in the week, but I have been... WWE with my daughter and then I uh, had two personal appearances so it's the first day I've been back at home and able to get in the studio but I, I think they'll enjoy this it's a little different oh it's super fun I just realized as uh, Undertaker was trying to put you out there I have one of your boots from this match you do I didn't realize that but yeah that red and black uh the way the toes come oh, that's right yeah yeah <laughs> look at me and Rod still hanging in there still having a good time yeah God, what a great guy. So the Iron Sheik was just in. Uh, surely you've got some good Iron Sheik stories. From oh, I broke in with him. Are you kidding? Me and Kaiser, we started together with uh, with Vern in 72. I know the Sheik very well. He's so banged up now, though. I feel bad for him. Yeah. Um, you know, he's making some money, you know, being silly. But, um, <laughs> God, I'll never forget when they inducted him in, in L.A. the same year they inducted Hogan. He was hollering, like, I should have broke the jabroni's leg. <laughs> <laughs> when they had Hulk beat him, remember? Sure. Yeah, because Vern Gagne, uh, you know, called the, uh, this is a story I've been told, whether it's true or not, I don't know, um, but the story is Vern called the Sheik and said, I'll give you $100 or $100,000 to break his leg. Instead of dropping the title to him. So. Yeah. I don't know if that story is true or not, but. It's out there, though. I mean, people yeah. have talked about that. Yeah. So here comes Rick Martell. This kid right here is a phenomenal performer. I asked someone the other day what he's doing, and he just is one of those guys that walked away from the business and doesn't want to be near it again. They're trying I mean, to eat. He lives he, in Montreal. He's got some real estate, and he's happy. And they invited him to WrestleMania, and he said uh, he wasn't interested. Oh. He's got to be one of the great success stories of wrestling now. He got in, made some money. Yeah. Uh stayed, kept himself in great shape. Yep. Didn't get jammed up too bad. Got out and got into another industry and enjoyed his time for what it was. Yep, yep, for sure. He was very close to Roddy. I actually was surprised I didn't see uh Martell at Roddy's funeral because he was very close to Roddy. Do you remember him coming in the WCW towards the end? Rick Martell? Yeah, sir. yeah, yeah. You know, I wrestled him when he was AWA champion, and I was NWA. Champion. I wrestled him in Tokyo one time. That was another mistake they made. They made two mistakes, and with with me and uh, Americans, they put me over there one night for an hour with Steamboat in Tokyo, and another time for an hour with Rick Martel. Martel could really go, and uh, you know, the Japanese. You know, as much as they didn't like our style of work at that time, they, they had a hard time. Not not like in that moment. It was that good. Yeah, Martel could really perform. Just saw Hebner walk past the screen. Do you uh, you're closer with Earl than Dave, right? I'm equally close to both of them. Dave is in real bad health. I don't see Dave much. 
I've saw him once last year. I talked to Earl and his son, you know, uh, once every couple of months. Um, God had some good time with those guys. That's one of the strangest things. I, I even asked that story again a couple of weeks ago because all of a sudden to have the Hebners gone, I mean, uh-oh, here comes the golden goose, man. This guy was over big time. Oh, look at the crowd, man. Yeah, you kidding me? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> right. right after Undertaker, yeah. Rick Flair. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, he, he was, God, he was over. Got a heck of a crew going on right there. Yeah, so this is where you were talking earlier with this many guys. You got to be careful or you'll get lost. Exactly. Because there's a lot of guys in there. Well, it's not getting lost as much as where you're going to throw somebody. You're, you know, you, you, hurt anybody. you know where you're at so you can land. Like, you know, normally I might have taken a slam off the top right here, but you never know where someone's going to be. You know what I mean? Right. Like, see right here where, where, yeah. um, Doug is almost in the way. Yeah. Uh oh. Taylor just got mad. Berserker's gone. Taker's gone. Hulkamania's running wild, brother. Listen to this crowd. Boy, they're insane right now. One after Martel with the t-shirt around the throat. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that's another example. See that? Where Martel just missed... uh, Virgil. Virgil, yeah. He's got to be careful. Virgil and Hacksaw out. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty now. Hogan, Flair, Piper, IRS. Over in the other corner, Martel and Macho now back on the screen. We're ticking down. I think I know who this one is, just by process of elimination. Nope, I was wrong. Skinner. Mm-hmm. Steve Kern. Yep. You had some uh you had to have had some good memories with Steve Kern over the years. Oh God, down in the Florida territory, yeah. Still do. He and his wife, Terry, are good friends of mine. I haven't seen him in probably six months, but uh, he was there when Ashley was training uh, at uh, FCW. FCW, yeah. Yeah, Steve's a great guy. So he, what's he, his role with the company now? I know he was kind of running FCW, but since that's not really a thing anymore, do you know what he's doing now? I, I have no idea. I, I, I'll have to ask that because I'm curious. See where Tano's taking bumps there, and I just got to know where you're going. Yeah. And keep an eye on everybody. It's so uh, interesting to look back and see how so many of the WWF characters back then were really like occupational characters. I mean, you've got IRS and you've got Skinner and Rick the Model. I mean, so you've got all these different um, occupational gimmicks. And then you've got some guys who don't have that. Roddy Piper, Rick Flair, Hulk Hogan. And their run was probably... Mm-hmm. Probably something to that. Occupational character, not necessarily going to get you the big run. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, they that was the deal. They the, Everybody was a character. Right. Um, you know, like honky-tonk. I mean, it's just the whole thing. Um, and, but, but it worked, and it certainly worked in their marketing strategy because those guys were making, we weren't making a dime, uh, um, you know, in marketing the NWA. I mean, if we were, we never saw it. And if there was a, something that could have been marketed, it was the Four Horsemen, most definitely, my God. Sure. And Dusty Rhodes, you know. Here comes.
Massage, another Hall of Famer. We got to get him on the show. We yeah. got a lot of God, there's more than there's more than eleven guys. There's got to be. But we'll, we'll see Sarge out at Mania. Yeah, we got we got to get him. We have lots and lots of requests for him. Yeah. And you had worked with him um, for Crockett and here. Did you work with him in Minnesota as well? No, no. He started the year after me. Yeah, he's a '73 boy. This is around the time he's got to deal with G.I. Joe, which was mm -hmm. a really big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. Hogan and Piper. <laughs> Tom must have never, ever gets old. <laughs> he, there are no selling each other. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a refusal. Yeah, Nobody's yeah. giving anybody anything. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> so much easier just to go down. <laughs> <laughs> I knew a girl like that. Look who's in the ring right now. Sergeant Slaughter, Ric Flair, IRS, Macho Man, Martel, Roddy Piper, and Hulk Hogan. That's a pretty big-time crew. Yep. I see why this is regarded as one of your favorite or one of the fans' favorite matches of yours. I mean, I hear this. Obviously, I hear people talk about the uh, trilogy and uh, with Steamboat, and I hear lots of talk about the Funk I Quit match at the Clash. But this to this and the Shawn Michaels match that you retired with at WrestleMania 24 have to be your two most famous WWF matches. I would, I guess, yeah. I mean, in the eyes of the people, yeah. You know, I thought I had some uh, really good matches with Brett as well. You know, and of course, I did with Roddy. Um, with Hunter, you had some phenomenal matches. Oh, Hunter and those guys, yeah. Um, here comes Big Sid. He's rolling in. So, hey, here's a question for you. Would you, um, what was your relationship like with him after the whole Arn incident? Oh, we never talked. Never talked. Are y'all crossed now or? Well, I, I, I haven't seen him in years. Yep. I, I have no idea what he's doing. Do you know if he and Arn ever patched everything up? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I would be, I would. If I were going to take a guess, I would say no. You know, that was that was just ridiculous. You know, one of the one of the times I'm, I was lucky enough to be in bed, and uh, you know, just to wake up to that, finding out that went down. You know, no need for that. Were you there when he had the incident with uh, Pillman and a squeegee? Who's that? Sid. What was that about? I don't know. Supposedly there was a fight in a bar, and somebody brought in a squeegee as a weapon, and I thought that was pretty phenomenal. Who brought? I mean, it, well, who won the fight? Well, I don't think Sid's ever won a shoot fight. Uh -huh. uh, based on on wrestling lore, everybody always says that uh, there's a weapon involved, and it doesn't always go his way. But uh, I don't know. I just that the talk is he really had a lot of heat with all the guys, but nobody well, I, knows I, that better I, than I, he. I can assure you that. <laughs> Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't uh, everybody's favorite. You know what I mean? Did you have any problems working with him in the ring, or was it just no personality? No, and... no it just uh, you know he he, he was he, 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 I had a real close friend named Joe Gomez that he was just yeah just he just wasn't nice to people, and he, he took advantage of his position. If that makes sense, the warlord. 
with your boy right there, yeah. Harvey Whippleman. Oh, there you go. Finally found room. <laughs> wow. Harvey Whippleman, or, or Bruno, as you call him, is mm. really probably one of the unsung heroes of WWE and Bradley Bay. Wouldn't you agree? Well, he, I'll tell you something. He's utilized and underappreciated. Does that make yeah. sense? <laughs> yeah. He's the all-time Aaron guy. I've never yeah. been to a show with you where he wasn't running 100 miles an hour every, every day. There's a suplex on the floor. It's the way ahead of its time. <laughs> I need more credit for this stuff. Nobody was taking suplexes. Oh, man. Sarge with a big exit right there. Huh? Sarge with a big exit yeah. right there. Yeah. Sarge could work, man. Yeah, I don't think I remember seeing Hogan suplex anybody on the floor. I think you're right on that. <laughs> Great camera work. Mm -hmm. What was the biggest um, shock or adjustment for you when you went from WCW to the WWF? Was part of that the production, just as, as much as they put it into lighting and rigging and the cameras and all that? Or Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, if you hadn't, and not, not having been there before, to see this and, and to actually be part of it, I mean, the studios in Stanford and all that. And, and of course, they're 10 times that now. Um, I mean, they just, they've built stuff since then that you can only imagine. It, it looks like something in downtown LA. I mean, they've got, you know, studio after studio and warehouse after warehouse of uh, cameras and, you know, technology stuff. Just just keeping the network updated, you know, that, that's a daily deal, you know? Sure. Um, I actually haven't been up there in, in over a year, but it's amazing. Everybody, well, you, you've known it, you've done it. Everybody needs to, to go through uh, Titan Tower one time. I mean, that's oh, no, I agree. Just what it is. It, it, look at the memorabilia, the pictures, um, and the guy is just, he keeps it, you know, he, 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 you'd think that Donald Trump owned it. I mean, it's that nice. So we're getting to the nitty-gritty now. Piper just eliminated with Martell. So we've got four in the ring, Macho Man, Sid, Hogan, and Flair. Mm -hmm. Warlord's out. Everybody's out. We're down to these four. And there goes Macho. That's to Flair. Man, it's flew by. I know we're getting near the end, yeah. and this uh, this was a lot faster and a lot more fun than I imagined. Well, you should you, you had to be there. <laughs> There's your spot right there. <laughs> and there goes Hogan, did justice, making a kind of heel deal, throwing Hulk Hogan out. And look at the fans. I think they all had Hogan pegged here. I thought Hogan was winning for sure. Dirtiest player in the game. And, of course, everybody's listening to us now rather than the commentary. <laughs> but, Bob, but Bobby Heenan is losing his mind. I'm losing mine. I can't believe. 
after being um, basically reduced to nothing in WCW to becoming the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. Pretty pretty big moment in my life. You can see that scar is still pretty prominent there, isn't it? Yeah. On my back, yeah. So when you found out earlier in the day that you were winning, would this have been something you would have called Beth and said, hey, get the pay-per-view and gather the kids around? Or would you have cared to do that? Um, well, Ashley and Reed were too young. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, let me see. And my older kids, um, you know, it was, it was one of those times where I had nowhere to go with them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, because I was going to work the next day. Um, you know, it's hard. That's a that's a tough question. I mean, look at the look at the ring there now. It's got Renee Golay in it. It's Pat Patterson with dark hair. Yeah, Tony got uh, <laughs> Tony Gurria. Oh my God, look at Pat. <laughs> God, yeah, look at Pat. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, um, I think the kids more started following stuff. Uh later when I went back to WCW and then of course um in my last uh run from two thousand and one to two thousand eight with the uh with um the company. So does this um kind of since you're the champ and you just won the belt, they're not even really focusing on that now. They're focusing on Sid and Hogan trying to set up WrestleMania. Is this yeah. something that pisses you off or do you care? It, it, no, I didn't it, care. I didn't think about it. I, I, everybody, that's one of the most popular questions I've heard, you know, I get asked all the time. I was never upset that I didn't wrestle Hulk. Nobody promised me I was wrestling Hulk. You know, it, it, it didn't, didn't work out for a number of reasons, but, um, you know, none of them left me in a bad position. I wrestled, but Randy Savage, I mean, you know, Randy and I, and I, and I had a much better match with Randy than Sid and Hulk had. You know what I mean? We ought to do this again, uh, WrestleMania week, uh, for that match with you and, and Randy. But I meant specifically, not necessarily that you weren't wrestling Hogan or WrestleMania, but normally when there's a new champion, that's the focus. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, regarded as being the best rumble and everybody's favorite. But immediately after the match, rather than it being all about you winning the belt, it's still about Hogan and Sid, and online, that annoyed a lot of people. Yeah, but look at that Hall of Fame crew I'm sitting with right there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and a lot of people, uh, myself included, think this is one of your very best promos. And I know that if they're listening, not, they're not hearing it now, but they should go back and listen to it. Uh, with a tear in my eye is the way you start. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. I'm with Bobby Heenan, Kurt Henning, and Gene Oakland. You know, three very close friends, three people I think the world of. As a matter of fact, me and Gene and you and I and Wendy will be tipping one up on uh, Thursday of WrestleMania week. Gene gets in at 6, Wendy gets in at 2.30. You and I will be three in before they get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look at that right there. Look at Kurt. I, you know, I'm really close to Kurt's son and the guy that just, he's just getting a little bit of a break now finally on Raw with that group. It's actually yeah. pretty entertaining. So, but you know, important to see what Bobby's gone through health-wise and that. And and Gene's got a bad wheel right now, a bad hip. And he's on his third kidney. So, well, I mean, make no mistake, I left Gene Oakland off the drinking agenda for the night after this party, after this interview. Yeah, Gene was right there too at the bar. 
you know, straight up dirty, a little bit of olive juice, and two and two uh, olives stuffed with Roquefort cheese, please. <laughs> hey, so let me ask you, uh, as far as world title win, uh, where does this rank? Obviously, it's, or, or I would think it's below the first one. When you won the dome, when you got the NWA. It's funny. I this would be number two. Yeah. The first, the first, the the, the starcade with Harley when I won it for the second time would be number one. Right. And then this would be number two. Awesome as that. Yeah. Well, Rick, this was fun. That's the end of the night. Thank you, man. Royal Rumble. We're uh, we're just a couple of days away from the Rumble again, and a new champion will be crowned. And no matter how it shakes out. Uh, it won't be the first time that the person who won the Rumble won the world title, and it probably won't be regarded as being the greatest Rumble ever because 1992 will still exist. And I hope everybody enjoyed this as much as I did. And this oh, was thank fun. you. We should do this. I, I tell you what, um, I'm going to tell you something. This thing, uh, uh, this coming Sunday, is going to be huge. I mean, they've got the components. I mean, uh, Brock is in it, and uh, you know, a lot of guys looking to. Um, you know, with all the injuries, we have some guys that are going to have to really step up to the table, and I think it's going to be great. I mean, it's a, I'm thrilled to be there, and, of course, um, Charlotte's got the big match with Becky Lynch, and it's going to be a big deal, sold out. And I'll be waiting a text from you in the next five minutes as to what time you're coming into town to meet me and Wendy tonight. Let me know who you want me to call. I'll make it for you. <laughs> Thank you, Conrad. Thanks, Rick. Love you, buddy. See you soon. See you, man. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Woo Nation. We'll see you next week. Woo Nation, thank you. Woo! Thanks for watching. For Ric Flair and Conrad Thompson, I've been Steve Kaufman, and this has been Ric Flair, Woo Nation, Uncensored.